Uh, great to be here on this Thursday. Could it be clinch day potentially for? Wow, I didn't jinx it. I didn't, ain't no curses. I'm going to keep saying saying that until some of you just start believing it. Ain't no curses out there. But the Braves look real good uh, last night. BJ and Ben nine to two. Coming up big, Eddie Rosario nearly hits for the cycle. Four or five, uh, four RBI, three runs scored. He's hitting 588 in the postseason. That's pretty good if you don't follow baseball a lot. Uh, you got Max Fried going tonight for the Braves against a bullpen game for the Dodgers. But before we look there, last night, take the lead, up 3-1, huge. And the Dodgers obviously reeling in more ways than one. Justin Turner goes out. He's done for the series. How you feeling today, BJ and Ben? On a Thursday, impressed. Uh, what what an incredibly resilient performance. And yesterday, I was I was concerned. I thought that the that the finish to Game Four or Game Three, excuse me, was a major momentum boost for LA and and just kind of the way it all unfolded. Right where you were on the brink of a 3-0 advantage in the NLCS, and then a guy that's been great for you all year, and I still think made the right pitch. Luke Jackson throws a ball well above the zone, and then Cody Bellinger turns on it. Mookie Betts then comes through, and all of a sudden, in a span of like 15 minutes, you go from, we're about to be up 3-0 in the NLCS to, okay, it's it's 2-1, the Dodgers have momentum, and we all know what happened last year. I, I, was, I was apprehensive about the game last night, and I thought the way the Braves responded was incredible. It was what championship teams do. That was a championship response by the Atlanta Braves watched the first couple of innings because given the way the series had gone I felt like a statement was going to be made by somebody early and Atlanta had two runs of course in the second two runs in the third ended up really dominating the game I know you had four runs in the ninth but you out hit LA 12 to 4 uh, what you got on the mound from guys was just incredible uh, Chavez Martin Mentor Matzik Will Smith Drew Smiley coming in doing some good work it was a balanced uh, effort. You got contributions from all over the place, Ben, and Atlanta is really, really in the driver's seat now. A lot of energy, a lot of confidence around the organization, and we'll get to it in a second, but I think Braves country feels really good about tonight and clinching that pennant. They play with poise. They play with confidence, and you know, when you when you talk about the Braves team, I, I understand that Eddie Rosario, I mean, as, as well as he played yesterday, we forget how well uh, Freddie Freeman played yesterday. That's how good Rosario played, but I mean, BJ, something when it comes to these Dodgers that you don't seem to want to give these Braves, and that's the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I mean, if the Dodgers, if the Dodgers was up 2-0 against the Braves, right, and then they lost game three, people say, oh man, the Dodgers still got a shot. No, this Braves team understands that, yeah, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. But this Braves team understands how to go out there and, you know, get some big wins. You gotta you gotta jump on them early. And Kevin, I think something the Braves showed yesterday. Look, we play better with a cushion. We got a cushion, and obviously, you know, uh, that ninth inning, I mean, you know, they kind of like, uh, you know, Rosario kind of sealed the deal. But I just think when you think about the way this Braves team plays, you always can depend on one of these hitters to come through. Now, if you're expecting Rosario to look like that the rest of this series, good luck, you know, whoever they play. Dodgers, you know, Astros, Red Sox. But I just think that what I saw last night was a team that played with confidence, a team that's been here before. Newcomers saying, look, man, we're we going to be able to show our worth because, look, you you do all you got to do uh, to make it to the show and you prove your worth when you're in the show. Rosario proved his worth last night. And I just think that when you think about what it takes to win moving forward, a, a team like the Dodgers, you can leave no doubt. If they learn anything from game three is, listen, no a three-game lead with this team, I mean, a three-run lead with this team, uh, it's not safe. 
So you had to put some distance in between you and it, and then it makes those bats, you know, uh, kind of go cold when you talk about this Dodgers team. But I was just very, very impressed with the Braves. I did not watch it. And I'm not saying I'm jinxing to Kevin. No, no, I, 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 I did not jinx anything. But Ain't no curses, Ben. But, but I will say this. The, our, our, uh, our um, you know, text, and our text thread, BJ will scare me. Because BJ will say, because I'm trying to get the mood of what BJ is saying, not exactly what what. <laughs> I will, I, but I will say this, BJ. I know this is something that's going to be hard to do because of who the Braves are playing. But having this Braves team earn the benefit of the doubt and how they played in this postseason, not just what it took to get here. Look, I, I agree. I mean, absolutely, Kevin. I mean, I, look, I, absolutely. Just because just because I'm still anxious doesn't mean the Braves haven't done a good job of. Uh, changing whatever narratives were out there about, oh, this team, you know, can't win in the postseason or can't advance. They've been they've been spectacular. You have a two five seven Kevin t- team ERA here in the playoffs. Eddie Rosario is the hottest baseball player on the planet. I mean, the way you've played has been inspiring, and I think this is a team that is in a great spot tonight, Kev. Hey, that would be. I agree with Christian. When does anybody ever send a positive text in the game running text thread when these games are going on? It's never. Man, what an inning it was like. Oh, no, Drew Smiley's in there. He's pitching bat and practice out there. I mean, that was – and that's true. Anytime anything goes bad, somebody will drop a note in there like, can you believe this? This is unbelievable. But, no, I thought Drew Smiley last night, for as much as he made me nervous, he pitched all right for, for having him out there, right? I mean, for a guy that hasn't pitched all month, I think his last outing was, what, October 1st or 2nd? He hadn't pitched all month, and you're going to stick him out there – in a huge playoff game, and he gives you four innings. Yeah, he gave up a couple of runs, but he gives you four innings in a, quote, bullpen game, you know, throwing slow-pitch softball out there. And, and, I mean, hey, he gave you what you needed, right? He gave, he went out there and got the job done. And I think going into tonight, if you're a Braves fan, look, I, I keep saying, ain't no curses, man. If you go out there and just play your game, you have Max Freed. My heart is overflowing. It's so full. I got Booby Miles. I got Austin Riley. I got everybody in my heart right now. Look. Max Freed against a bullpen game you feel good about. Luke Jackson, I say what you want, I feel okay about. Had a bad outing. He has pitched really, really well. And Will Smith, we all owe him an apology, right? I mean, we do. He has pitched really, really well, especially in the postseason for the Atlanta Braves. And say what you want about that. When you got Will Smith, yeah, you want him to close games in April, May, June, July, August. But you also paid him that big contract for this. So he could come in the postseason and lock games down. And so far... He's done that for you here in 2021. So, uh, with no Justin Turner, no Max Muncy, a bullpen game, you've got Max Freed. This is a great opportunity to go out and really stick it to the Dodgers and end this thing now tonight. There's reason to believe that, and 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 it's not just hope and optimism. I mean, Max Freed on the mound for you, a collection of relief pitchers most likely on the mound for them. And you're talking about Atlanta having a momentum that doesn't just stem from the win yesterday, but the way the game ended. Uh, Atlanta scored four runs in the ninth inning. And I think some of that confidence at the plate, some of that conviction does carry over. I mean, you have an offense that have one of its best frames of the last month, the last time they were out there against L.A. So I think you take take the mound, you take, take the field with confidence. Uh, I I don't know what the plan is for Dave Roberts. I mean, we were talking about it. You were breaking it down a little bit yesterday. Bullpen games are kind of interesting in that you sort of stand by and you have a plan, but you have to readjust on the fly depending upon how it goes. If Max Freed is anywhere close to what he has been, you feel like you have a major considerable advantage 
on the mound and then offensively the momentum you have uh, to bounce back the way you did with uh, seemingly the tone of the series going the other way. I'm extremely confident about tonight. And, and look, that, that worries me to a certain extent. But Ben, you're right there. You are one win away from the World Series. You have the Dodgers on their heels. You have your hottest pitcher going. They have uncertainties on the mound. We don't know who we're going to see or for how long. This is a great spot for Atlanta. You feel that, BJ and Kevin? You know what that's called? That's called pressure. But not from the Braves' side, from the Dodgers' side. Because we get it, right? The Braves are good for baseball. They're not, they're not, good, they're not good for the national ratings when you're talking about who they would rather see, quote, in the World Series. We, we, we get that part. But the Dodgers, I'm, I, go, I go back to two games ago, and I'm just watching the Dodgers fans, and they living in time with every pitch, every swing, every inning. This Braves team kept this, and they kept their poise. It could have went off the rails, and even though it was, even though there was, a, they had only lost one game going into Game Four, but they didn't. They showed that look, we have chemistry on this team. We understand that if our bats get hot, what? Because the same way the Dodgers got hot, what happens when the Braves bats get hot? They didn't cool off, and they took it well into the ninth inning. That's what they learned in Game Three that we don't talk about the most. Hey man, we got to keep the pressure on those guys every freaking inning, and definitely, you know, the closer we get to the eighth and ninth inning, so. I'm not calling nothing because I'm not, I'm, not I'm not in the business of calling things. I do agree with Kevin. There are no superstitions. I don't want to hear that there are no curses, no nothing. This, that, and the third. But Christian. Says the guy that won't watch. He won't watch the Florida games. Whoa, 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 whoa. We need to keep these things under wrap. We don't need everybody knowing like kind of like what we've been doing. I might watch a game this year. I might watch a game. I'm not going to tell y'all which one I watch. You know, it's probably going to be the Sanford game. I might have to watch that one. And it, it, I'm just <laughs> – no, I, I, I just give this Braves team a lot of credit, man. The Dodgers are doing – the Dodgers are doing for the Braves what the Braves did for them a year ago. They are bringing out the best in them. They are saying, look, man, backs against the wall, even though we was up 2-1, bring out the best in them. But they got to get it done tonight. It is not over yet because we've seen this story before, Kevin. Hopefully it will not be deja vu. Yeah, and I, and I know we had some folks talking about, oh, it would be nice to clinch in uh, in the ATL. No, it would be nice to clinch right now. Don't, don't let a Dodgers team up off the mat at all, especially knowing that in game six and seven, there is no question about, about, when, or about what the Dodgers are going to do. The Dodgers are going to pitch Max Scherzer. And Walker Bueller. That's a heck of a way to finish if you're the Braves. You want to get it done tonight, take care of business, and just end it. Be and done I, with it. Yeah, I have seen some of those uh, posts and have heard it. Hey, man, winning in Atlanta in truest, that atmosphere. Nope, I'm with you 100%. Get it done tonight. Game six, game six. You don't even have to worry about it. Don't even have to think about it. You win tonight, Ben. When will uh, game six be played? That's in February, okay? Because you take care of business against the Dodgers and you start thinking about the World Series. I think you managed tonight, and, and listen, I don't know if uh, your your approach changes at all, if you're Snicker, but I think you look at this as the deciding game. Go for it. I, it's, it's, a, it it's a series where there's going to be an ebb and flow because both teams are so good. If you can take advantage when you're on the road of a team that's, 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 that's injured, that doesn't have a lot of momentum, that kind of fell apart yesterday, you absolutely do that and go for it tonight. And again, we'll talk more about this game as we move ahead. Gorov Vidok, Talking Chop, going to join us coming up in just a little bit. We'll switch gears, uh, also talk some football. George Reister uh, of the Mad Dog Radio, Fox Sports TV, and radio host, host of Reister or Wrong, uh, and former Jags tight end. He'll join us. We'll talk some NFL with him. 
Also, uh, in the final hour of the show, Bill Shanks will join us of the Bill Shanks Show. We'll talk with him and Roddy Jones, former Georgia Tech A-back, now with the ACC Network, will join us. And we will look at conference expansion, which continues to be all over the place in college football. So plenty to get to here on the show. But we're talking Braves when we come back with Gaurav Vidak, our talking chop, here on 3 and Out. Good to have you back here on 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Game number five coming up tonight, potentially a game, a series ending uh, game if the Braves can come out on the right side tonight against the uh, Dodgers. Braves will send Max Fried uh, to the mound uh, to take on the Dodgers. Haven't seen who the Dodgers are going to route there, but it's expected to be kind of inconsequential as they're expected to pitch a bullpen game uh, over the course of tonight's action. So, uh, we shall see what they try to do. But we have with us from Talking Chop, Gaurav Vidak joining us here on 3 and Out. Gaurav, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Super excited for tonight. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the Braves, the way they came out last night, uh, I know a lot of folks said, oh, you opened the door in Game 3 for the Dodgers uh, with their late-inning heroics uh, to come back. And it seemed like the Braves answered in resounding fashion last night, even uh, as they went with their own bullpen game last night. It was just a, an absolutely magical performance by the bullpen. You know, those were such huge innings from Drew Smiley. Yeah, he gave up a couple, a pair of earned runs. But to imagine getting 10 outs from him in an NLCS when he really hasn't pitched since, you know, significant innings really since the regular season, it, it couldn't be better than that. And then A.J. Minter came in and looked absolutely dominating. Everyone did their part. It was really a spectacular outing. And, and the mere fact that you're able to get early runs off of Julio uh, Urias and heading into today, which was a known bullpen game, and with Max Scherzer, even his status being uncertain as well for game six, you're looking at potentially three straight bullpen games for the Dodgers. Last night was pretty beautiful, to say the least. What does it say about the resiliency of this team that L.A. can have the finish they did in Game 3? It felt like the momentum was going back the Dodgers' way. Then in Game 4, Atlanta comes out and not only uh, you know has a couple of runs early, like you mentioned, but really, once you look at the totality of the game, dominated things. I can't believe it. You know, Jesse Chavez gave up the game-winning run the night before, and to come out and get Beth Seeger and Turner to start off the game with absolutely no issues, that was huge just from him itself. You know, like you said, the team battled. They're resilient. They lost half of their team before. You know, they replaced half of it during the season itself. They competed, won a division, and now they're on the, the mere cusp of the World Series if they're able to pick it up. Like, it's just, it's been an incredible run, and it shows you just how well managed this team is. I think Snicker doesn't get enough praise for what he's done this season. I know it's a different team, different year. I mean, uh, same result right now, up 3-1. But how much better of a team do you think this Braves team is coming in with a, you know even more postseason experience against this Dodgers team? It's, it's the mere fact that they have, you know, the starting pitching that they have this year. Yeah, you're missing Ronald Acuna, which is a massive, massive hole. But the fact that you're able to trot out Charlie Morton, Ian Anderson, and, and you know, tonight Max Free is just a huge step up from last year. Absolutely no offense to Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, A.J. Minter, who were absolutely fantastic in their starts against the, against the Dodgers last year. But to go from that to Max Freed in a closeout game, like that's significant. And you really can't put enough value on that. 
Gaurav Vidak joining us here on 3 and Out. And you, you look at uh, just the moves that have been made. Eddie Rosario was injured when the Braves got him at the, uh, at, at the trade deadline. They traded him for Pablo Sandoval, who was immediately cut uh, once that trade was was completed. They've gone out and got Jock Peterson. Just speak to some of the moves of when at the time you look and said some kind of minor move for some pieces, guys that weren't necessarily frontline players with other teams, and they've come in and really taken the, this Braves team to the next level, including Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario, Rosario, who have hands down won games for the Braves already in the postseason. You know, you know, you don't normally see an eighty-eight an eighty-eight win team with a GM that's up for executive of the year, but that's got to be Alex Anthopoulos. He's up there with the job that Scott Harris over in, in San Francisco has done, and that team won one hundred and seven games, right? What what Anthopoulos has done cannot be stated, cannot be you know, not be overstated enough. He completely re re overhauled this entire starting lineup and made them. Dangerous, you know these the Jock Peterson turning into into Barry Bonds in the during the playoffs, Eddie Rosario with twelve hits already. Like these are significant things that were acquired via trade. So again, like Anthopolis has to be one of the top two favorites to win Executive of the Year. To that end, when you think about the additions, uh, Adam Duvall making plays offensively, but now defensively as well. What does he mean to this team? I couldn't believe he made that catch in center field. Someone that doesn't, who is a great defensive outfielder that doesn't play center field that often, coming up with a huge play like that right after he hit a home run. Absolutely massive. Uh, Duvall's been a, a, just a transcendent for the Braves. As soon as he puts on that Braves uniform, he completely, he, he turns from Adam Duvall into, you know, this magnificent creature that's putting up bomb after bomb, putting up play after play, significant play after play again. You can't understate how well Anthopolis did this uh, this uh, trade deadline. Best games, uh, you know, first two games that are, you know, our first two games of the series, you see him uh, having the ability to bounce back. Just talk about Freddie Freeman's importance to this team, not just what he does offensively, but just what he means to the team mindset-wise. Anytime you can ask questions to the former MVP from just last year about any situation, you look at him over in the in the dugout. He's always cool and collected. He's always ready. He went 0 for 7. He went 0 for 8 with seven strikeouts to start off the series, and now he's on the cusp of hitting. You know, I think it's almost like 350 in the playoffs. Uh, it's just astounding. He just what, what you're able to count on from Freeman is astounding, and he's got to be the number one by far, the number one priority for the Braves this off season. Because when you think first baseman, you think Freddie Freeman, and there's not really anyone else that comes close. So you know that Anthopoulos is extremely excited over the over the chance of extending this guy. Gorov Vidak joining us here on Three and Out, and, uh, and Gorov, how important is tonight's ball game to finish the deal? I, I know a lot of people say, "Boy, it'd be nice uh, to play in Atlanta in front of the home crowd," but. That would also mean potentially Max Scherzer, Walker Bueller going for the Dodgers. How important do you think it is for this Braves team, especially in a house of horrors that's been Dodger Stadium for them, to try to finish this deal tonight? Yeah, you, you have to win as soon as you can. And like you said, even a dead arm Max Scherzer is still so dangerous. He's still scary. A full-rested Walker Bueller is terrifying to see. Yeah, it would be fun to, to win at home, but finish the series in L.A., to really exercise those demons from last year of dropping a 3-1 series lead, to get rid of all of that and go into the World Series feeling refreshed and, and like, again, exercising that demon. I couldn't imagine the mental toll that this past offseason has had on those players. So being able to get it all done, finishing it tonight, could not be 
you know, have to be of the utmost importance. Do you think tonight's game, Gorov, will be decided in the first couple of innings? And what I mean by that is, you know, if Atlanta comes out early, gets some runs, that's going to really put the pressure on L.A. with their kind of bullpen setup. Uh, could you could you set the tone right away if you're Atlanta tonight? Absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, it's going to be another bullpen game for them. They had to cover many, many innings last uh, just last night. Uh, the arms available, you know, there might be four or five, really, that they're going to have to heavily lean on. So if you can get a, a, a reliever early on and, and really screw up that rotation for Dave Roberts, they could be in for, you know, a world of, of hurt, unfortunately, for the Dodgers, unfortunately, for the Braves. To, to come out strong and really get into the heads of the Dodgers thinking about and, and force them to think about the moves in the second inning and really throw off everything, it could set the entire tone for the rest of the game. So look for the Braves to really try and score early on because, again, you get to them early and you screw up that rotation, uh, that bullpen rotation, you're, you're asking for trouble. And because obviously this Braves team, I understand how dangerous this Dodgers team can be. How much better is the Dodgers making the Braves because of the fact that they know they cannot they cannot allow them Dodgers bats to get hot? It's, it's that exact thing. Right now, you're seeing the Dodgers being able to run like crazy on the on the pads. They're able to score at any moment at any moment's notice. It's a terrifying squad to go up against. And yeah, they're mi- they're missing Max Muncie, and now it looks like Justin Turner is probably done for the for the season for them. But you still look at their lineup. You look at the guy that made, you know, those, those big plays or those big errors from Gavin Lux. He's an ultra-talented, really young player. Uh, you can't overstate what the Braves' starting rotation and bullpen have done against such a great squad. Gaurav Vidak, Talkie Chop, joining us here on 3 and Out. Gaurav, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. And Braves and Dodgers, Game 5 coming up tonight. We'll have full coverage for you coming up at 6.50 uh, here this evening. Max Freed against the bullpen squad for the Dodgers, BJ and Ben. I mean, this is go take care of business, right? I mean, against a you've got a wounded Dodgers team literally uh, with uh, going deep in their bullpen to just try to get through this game that they have to win. No Justin Turner, no Max Muncie. You have to go out there and, and keep the pressure on and win this one, right? And yes, and and I'm looking for that tone to be set right away. As uh, Gorov said, the the Dodgers are really limited, right, Kevin, with options tonight. I mean, if you get three or four in the first inning or two, it's not like you have a you know a plethora of possibilities. If you're Dave Roberts, you are you are limited. You don't have many rested arms, and you can turn this game into a very difficult one circumstantially for L.A. right away if you're Atlanta. So, look, it always comes down to late-inning moments in playoff baseball. We know that. But I think the first inning or two for Atlanta may ultimately set the table for this thing. I'm just looking forward to who, who's going to get hot in this lineup, not named Rosario, not named uh, Freddie Freeman. I mean, Austin Riley, he still got a chance to go out there and get hot. I mean, Dansby Mansby can go out there and get hot. And I just think for this Braves team, I mean, win with how you got here. Don't try to switch things up. Don't try. To, you understand the Dodgers are playing with their backs against the wall. They've been like that since this series started, and no one is looking past the Dodgers, Kevin and BJ, because of how good of a team they are. But the Braves show last night, Kevin, even with that being a great performance, if the Braves play their best game, and the Dodgers play their best game. Can the Braves still come out to, come out the winner? I, ho- I hope that's the case uh, come tonight. And I think there's a lot of Braves fan hoping uh, that's the case here this evening. And the Braves wrap this thing up 
and move on to the World Series. And what a uh, buildup that's going to be for this Braves team if they can get there. We've got so much more to get to uh, on the show. George Reister had to move him back. He'll join us at uh, 4 o'clock. We'll take three when we return here on 3 and Out. Good to have you along here at 3 and Out. BJ, Ben, and Kevin, glad you are making us a part of your day. George Reister going to join us, former Jaguars tied in at the top of next hour. But first, in lieu of that, let's take three here on Three and Out. All right, fellas, uh, take one. If the Braves win the NLCS, would you rather play Boston or Houston? I think I think I think the Red Sox might be a better matchup. I I know that there are, of course, great players on both those teams, but we were going over Houston's starting rotation in the show meeting, and that that's a problem. That's a very serious problem. And, of course, Houston has had uh, very recent success, but I, I, I feel like an Atlanta-Boston series would be really cool, too, getting to see the Braves play in Fenway there in the, in the World Series. I mean, what a stage, what a setting. And it's the World Series. You're going to play somebody great. But to me, I think maybe a more manageable opponent in the Boston Red Sox than the Houston Astros. Yeah, BJ, I mean, it's, oh man, the less of two evils, or the less of two strengths, I mean, in, in this regard. But, I mean, the last time the Braves were in Fenway, I mean, they've had some they've had some really, really good, uh, you know, uh, a good uh, success there. But I, I would go with the Red Sox for the simple fact that, you know, you're not too many years to move from them trash cans. I mean, I don't know how sophisticated the Braves got to be if they do play the Houston. If they do play Houston, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, in the World Series. So because you know, trash cans and you know, and cameras have gotten a lot better. Then I mean, phones are different. I don't want to have to deal with the conspiracies if you're dealing with the Astros and you know, Altuve and those boys. They do get it in, but I'm just saying. I mean, is Freddie Freeman looking? Look, is, is Freddie Freeman looking? Is Freddie Freeman looking? You know, at the pitcher or is he looking in the outfield saying, is that a? Is that a trash can I see right? <laughs> so for me, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go with the Red Sox because I think if the Braves do get there and they beat the iconic team like Boston, it's only going to add you know, you know even more to uh, to how beautiful it's going to be. I was gonna say, I would I would say the only other series that would give you two more angst-ridden fan bases <laughs> would be if the Cubs were in this thing, and that's and the Red Sox and Cubs finally got their World Series, but they still have angst, and the, and the Braves fans have angst. I mean. The Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, excuse me, have more championships than the Braves do. I, I, that's fine, Christian. Christian's trying to make old jokes in my ears over here because I said the Florida Marlins. Listen, I do it. I I think Red Sox Braves would be really cool because obviously the Braves started out in Boston as a franchise, and you get to play against Boston for a place for a. Uh, chance to bring home that hunk of metal as Rob Manfred liked to say so I would say give me Boston in the uh, the World Series if I could although the Astros be a heck of a series but like Ben said heaven forbid there's a close questionable call or the Astros start raking Braves pitching which has been really good this postseason it's going to be I saw a mysterious red light coming from the right field seats and then it's going to start that whole conspiracy thing going don't want to have to deal with any of that moving along take two Rank the following college football coaching jobs. These are vacancies right now. Rank them, obviously, one, two, three. LSU, Miami, and Southern Cal all open right now. I think that they are all three elite jobs, uh, and, 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 and I might surprise some people. I think I would go Miami one, LSU two, and Southern Cal three. And I think the reason is because if you're looking at sort of the likelihood moving forward, 
of winning a national championship, I think the obstacles are more difficult in the SEC West. I mean, we say it time and time again, the SEC West is the toughest division in football. Not 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 for a year or two here, but here or there, but, but consistently throughout. And that very division, you have Alabama, of course, you have Texas A&M, this is in addition to LSU, you have Auburn, you have Ole Miss. I mean, Arkansas is no joke now. And I believe the common opponent for LSU every year is Florida. So every single season, before you even get to your non-conference schedule, you're playing Alabama, Texas A&M, Auburn, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Florida. And I think as SEC teams continue to uh, just add resources across the board to their football programs, I think it becomes more difficult to maintain a schedule like that and to be at a championship level with the current format. You have great high school football, great talent in the state of Louisiana, obviously, and you don't have a direct uh, a competitor in terms of a power five school. But I think when you look at Miami in the ACC Coastal Division, there's much more room to make a run. And look, Georgia Tech has a lot of tradition. Virginia Tech has a lot of tradition. We thought North Carolina was going to be right there. Pitt has a lot of tradition. But in terms of recent seasons, there's not this obstacle that you have to overcome that's just an impossibility. And you look at Miami's common opponent, Miami plays Florida State every year, and Florida State was 0-4 a couple of weeks ago. So I think on paper, if you get the right coach, you get the right players, you have the right confidence and momentum, you can compete at a national level easier, if that's the right word, at Miami than you can LSU. And I think the recruiting pipeline is unparalleled in South Florida with the talent there. Uh, Ben, I know you always talk about the just kind of the alumni, the energy around Miami and the resources you have there. I'll go Miami one, LSU a close second, and uh, SC third. I'll go LSU one. I'll go uh, SC2, and I'll go Miami 3. The thing about LSU is every coach that I've seen them, from Nick Saban, which was a defensive guru, Les Miles, which was an offensive guru, and then you talk about you talk about a guy like, you know, uh, Coach O, who just, he, man, he's, a over, he's an overseer, kind of like the face of the program. They've all won. They've all won the national championship. Now, is it going to be ebbs and flows in between those winning years? Yes, but they have won in the hardest division. They have won. USC, I do think, is a player away. And when I say a player, I'm talking about a quarterback. You can get the right coach in there, but if you got the right quarterback, you got a chance to go out there and compete in a Pac-12 that, I mean, what, who's the best team right now? Oregon? I mean, I just think that, you know, uh, the Pac-12 is just, you know, is just ready for a team like USC. But And the reason why I put Miami third is, BJ, with everything you're saying, as easy as it is, it should be for Miami to win it. They can't win it. Like, think about it. With everything you said, they can't do it. With they down ACC, guess who else was down? Miami. Miami's been to one ACC championship. One. And I understand, BJ, and maybe Miami and USC are in the same boat for this reason. You're not paying for a coach. You're paying to get back to what you once was. You're not going to do that again. That's not going to happen again. Miami has 30 for 30s, like different series, different, different. And you, listen, and Miami, multiple 30 yeah, for 30s. And you, <laughs> Miami used to be where, where LSU was doing that. Every coach used to come through there, won natties. Now, they ain't even making ACC championship games. They ain't even finished second in their division. This is the Miami team, BJ, that was what? Scoreless in a bowl game, bowl game two years ago. They're always going to be, you know, in, in, one of the, in, one, in one of the biggest recruiting, you know, hotbeds in Florida, but it's, it, it doesn't seem to get it done. And Miami can't even get the coaches they want anymore. Forget getting a coach. They can't even get the one they want. So, for me, I think it is LSU because, BJ, it's something about being able to control the entire state. 
They have the entire state of Louisiana on their side, and they're gonna get some good players, you know, in Texas and, and you know, in you know, in surrounding states. I think USC is a is a player away because they're gonna be able to if they can keep their best quarterbacks in the state of California, and I don't know, not have them come to the southeast, they'll be fine. But right now, for me, Miami is number three because I just can't. It ain't the players, it ain't the coaches. It might just be the culture right now. Ed Reed is back on campus, and you can't even tell. I know they got some great players and a great tradition, but, BJ, we are so far removed from that that Miami is on borderline becoming just a regular program. And, of course, LSU open after Ed Ogeron reached an agreement with LSU. Uh, Southern Cal let Clay Helton go back in week three. Miami not open, but if they continue to struggle, some speculation that maybe Manny Diaz might be out there in Coral Gables. Moving along to take three. More likely upset on Saturday. Tennessee beating Alabama. Third Saturday in October uh, tradition there with Tennessee and Alabama getting together. Tennessee beating Alabama or Indiana beating Ohio State. And Ohio State's been playing great recently and Indiana doesn't have Michael Penix their, their, their star uh, uh, quarterback. He's hurt, I think, out for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, I, look, I, I think it's Indiana, even without their quarterback. Indiana at home. I mean, Ben, you always say we see every once in a while kind of the weird games in the Big Ten where Ohio State loses to somebody they shouldn't. Now, I know they've already lost to Oregon this year, and they seem to be on a, on a mission to get back to the college football playoff. But Tennessee's been improved. Tennessee's got a real chance to make a bowl game. It's been exciting to watch the Volunteers play. This is a different type situation playing an Alabama team in Tuscaloosa that now has no margin for error. I think the fact that Alabama lost to Texas A&M is a really bad thing for everybody else on the Crimson Tide schedule because now you're going to get a completely, you know, focused, even if you weren't already, you know, just an even better effort than what you've had moving forward because you know that this is it. You're basically in a week-to-week playoff if you're Alabama, and nobody's better in those settings than the Crimson Tide. So wouldn't be surprised uh, if Alabama wins that game very comfortably. I think if it's a game late in the second half, that would that would be a shocker to me. Uh, but I, I, I'll take Indiana at home, the more likely upset than Alabama losing at home to Tennessee. Yeah, Ohio State, uh, I mean, they've already kind of shown early in the season against the Oregon team that I think was even a match against them that they lost lost that one early in the season. I mean, C.J. Stroud has been playing out of his mind. But Ohio State, is they good for one of these games every year, right? I mean, I know the Boilermakers are usually the one trying to, you know, uh, ruin people's uh, season. And Iowa tried to play the, uh, you know, the disrespect card this year. But I do think, B.J., it's Indiana. There ain't a – listen, I, I can appreciate what Tennessee is doing. I mean, I, I really, really can. I, I can appreciate the fact that, you know, Hendon Hooker finally got a chance to be the starter. You see how much he's helping elevate that offense. <laughs> it is going to be rough for Tennessee this week. It is going to be rough. Down weekend for games this week. I mean, Tennessee kind of wished it was other games on the docket so people would not be watching their game. But it's going to be ugly for them Tennessee Vols, even if, them, even if they are playing, you know, more, you know, more spirited uh, – you know, a uh, brand of football right now, but BJ, for me, it is Indiana. Even if they down, they start in QB. Indiana knows how to go out there and play an Ohio State team. You frustrate them, you make them play four quarters of football, you make them play that slow brand of football, just running the football, trying to keep that uh, that uh, Ohio State offense off the field, force that defense to try to get some stops. So, for me, it is Indiana uh, potentially uh, getting a big upset against Ohio State. Tennessee, good season this year, super season expectation. <laughs> But perception will not meet reality when you when you talk about this Alabama team that they've already lost, and I don't see them losing again. So, good luck, Tennessee. Again, I, I still think it's Tennessee more likely to beat Alabama, and I, I don't think that's a great shot, but I, I don't think Indiana's got a great shot at beating Ohio State either. Now, watch both of those things. So, uh, Indiana probably 
invited or something. But no, you mentioned Indiana without their uh, starting quarterback. That's a big deal. I, I just think if you're going to pick one that's more likely, I would say Tennessee, new offense, up tempo, fast paced. That would be at least something that Alabama has to deal with. Indiana is, it's Indiana football against Ohio State. They have to deal with that. That's all I'm saying. That's a great breakdown. That's why you come to me for the hot takes. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, look, I, look. Without your starting quarterback, it was going to be hard with your start with 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 Michael Phoenix. I, look, without him, I, I think it's going to be an uphill battle there against the Buckeyes. Tennessee, I think, has a a puncher's chance. Maybe I, again, don't. People are like, oh, he just said ten. no. That's not what I'm saying. When we do our picks tomorrow, I will pick Alabama and I will take all the points. But the question was, which do you think is more likely to happen? And that neither one is likely to happen. I think Tennessee would be more likely to happen. Last time, last time Tennessee won in Tuscaloosa was 2003, and it took five overtimes. That was a five overtime win for Tennessee back in 2003. When was the last time before that? Well, I wasn't prepared to answer that question, Kevin. I'm just saying, basically, it's been a long time since uh, since that's uh, happened outside of something weird happening like five overtimes. Let's take three. We do it each and every day. This time, we got more to come here. Three and out. George Reister will join us top of next hour here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on Three and Out on this Thursday. We will chat with George Reister, former Jaguars tight end, coming up in just a little bit. Also, Roddy Jones will join us in the final hour of the program. Bill Shanks will join us to talk some Braves baseball with him. And we'll look at conference expansion, which is still in the news. And a lot of news out there about the Sun Belt and what they could potentially be looking at moving forward in college football. So that's still to come here on the show. You can hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We'd love to hear from you here on this Thursday. But coming up next week, next Friday, the third annual Ben Troop Florida-Georgia Legend Series going to be taking place there at the Jekyll Island Weston. Going to have a lot of uh, former players in that game on hand. And again, free to folks to uh, to come out and attend uh, everyone's welcome to come out and enjoy a wonderful evening there at the Jekyll Weston. Yes, I'm uh, looking forward to a third annual, you know, uh, Florida Georgia Legend Series. It should be a lot of fun held going to be held at the Weston on Jekyll Island and like Kevin said, it is going to be free for everybody uh to attend. I mean, we got a star-studded uh, you know, group of guys going to be there. I mean, Washon Ely, DJ Jones, Willie McClendon from the Georgia side, Carlos Alvarez, Jeff Chandler, you know, D Well from the Florida side. I mean, I'm just looking forward to, you know, uh Meeting guys like Carlos Alvarez, and I'm finally meeting a guy like Washington Ely, who grew up, you know, not too far from where I grew up, uh, you know, uh, in Swainsboro, yeah, going to Mayo County Institute. But this is how I show, uh, you know, my respect and pay homage to the guys that came through the game. Uh, Florida, Georgia is obviously near and dear to my heart, being a Georgia boy, and understanding just how prestigious this game is. So this is my way of saying thank you uh, to the guys that, you know, paved the way for the current uh, crop of Florida, Georgia, Florida, Florida, uh, Florida Gators, the Georgia Bulldogs. But yeah, it should, should be fun. Next Friday, the 29th, the Western Jekyll Island gonna be uh, gonna be a lot of fun. Come out, get your, get listen, get a bunch of get a bunch of autographs signed, get your pictures taken, get a chance to meet some of the greatest players that ever come through this game. The third annual Florida Georgia Legend Series held next Friday at the Western Hotel on Jekyll Island. Be there, be nowhere else. And just to confirm, you're gonna be a completely impartial, objective, 
objective uh, uh, analyst, right? A host, objective. You you've heard me before, BJ. I never I never ever pick sides. I mean, I just told you, I represent I represent the the, the, uh, the best high school football in the greatest state there is in the state of Georgia. But when it come to college, had to make a decision. So you know, I chose I chose to go to you know I chose to go uh to that to that uh to that 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 neighboring state that bordering state down south. No, <laughs> BJ, I'm just I'm just looking forward to being able to have some healthy banter back and forth and. Once we start talking about the real game, I'm going to get quiet. There we go. So join us uh, next Friday there, the Weston on Jekyll Island. We're going to have a great time for the uh, third annual Venture Georgia Florida Legends Series. We'll come back. George Reister will join us. We're talking some NFL football with him when we return here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. Good to have you along here, three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. Plenty to get to here in our number two, including our conversation with our next guest. A fourth-round pick in 2003 by the Jacksonville Jaguars at tight end. George Reister joins us here on three and out. George, welcome to the show. How are you? Man, I'm good. How are you guys doing? Hey, we're doing fantastic. I know a lot of talk about uh, Jacksonville this year with uh, Trevor Lawrence, with Urban Meyer. I know they finally got their first win, one and five. But uh, what have you seen out of Jacksonville? Is this an experiment with Urban Meyer that you think is going to work long term in the National Football League? Well, um, <clears throat> college coaches going to the NFL have proven uh, on a large scale that they usually don't work right. So Urban Meyer, if he is successful, is going to be an an outlier. But obviously, he's off to a, a rocky start with. With the hiring of the strength coach Chris Doyle, and then following that up with the getting himself and his team fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for the off-season protocol violations in terms of contact, and drafting Travis Etienne when you need 55 other things on your on your roster, and then obviously the scandal that happened two two weeks ago. So, so, yeah, he's off to a rough start, but obviously there's still time to rebound and regroup. But, 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 but if you saw in the last game in London, there was a free weight to the quarterback. I mean, Trevor, if Trevor Lawrence was not a great athlete, dude, he, he would be getting sacked every single play. So, so the, the goal number one has Trevor Lawrence upright and to figure out their offensive line schemes and protections. George, with all that you mentioned, uh, how do you think Urban Meyer is is viewed in that locker room? Oh man, I mean, I I, I would be looking at him with a, a side eye, but at the same time, he is your head coach, and he's the only one that you got right now. So there is a a level of respect that is required for your head coach, regardless of whether you like him, agree with him, or anything like that. But obviously. <clears throat> He's worn some things thin with people in the in the locker room and the organization. So it's 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 like if you have a bad relationship with your kids, right? But then you're still providing housing and and all these other things. Then there's a certain level of respect that you're going to get. But obviously, your relationship could be better, and that that's the point that he's at now. That he's got to improve that part of. Part of the of the game because the relationship with the players is crucial to your own personal success and the team's long term prognosis as well. 
George, how, how hard is it going to be for a guy like Urban Meyer to really understand that everything he's done up to this point has only garnered him the attention to be the head coach of a Jacksonville Jaguars team that, you know, has won one game. But it's not it's not the same NFL for when me and you played in it. Catering to the players is just a part of, you know, just the norm now. Yeah, see, see, here, here's the thing. The reason why college coaches aren't necessarily usually successful is because they are used to being God on their campuses. Like, they are the end-all, be-all. They're the highest-paid state employee. Everybody worships at their feet, and the kids know if they comply, then their playing time and NFL chances are going to be down. And especially before the transfer portal and all of that stuff, it was a lot harder on them, right? And when you go to the NFL – Grown men, some of which who make make more than the head coach, who have cap numbers that are restrictive of them being cut and demand them to be played, there and that these guys have kids, mortgages, wives, uh, <laughs> investments, businesses, all of them, and some of them are you know plus thirty. So, so you have to treat them as a peer and not as a you know like you're the authority figure. And switching gears to the Atlanta Falcons, uh, George, I mean, obviously, man, you had a chance to talk about him a little bit last week. Kyle Pitts coming into the league at a really, really good time when the tight end position is looked upon as a weapon. You see Travis Kelce, you see George Kittle, you see Zach Ertz, you see, you know, uh, Darren Waller. How good do you think a guy like Kyle Pitts can be if, you know, he can find a way to put it all together? And, you know, what do, what do you think the ceiling is for a young man like this? Well, well see, see, there are two types of tight ends. Well, well, three, three really, is that there are blocking tight ends, there are receiving tight ends, and then there are guys who can do a little bit of both, right? And what, what one's going to be better than the other, right? And but guys who are solely receiving tight ends, their careers are usually shorter because because as you get older, some of your athleticism fades and all of that, but. He's going to have to find a way to make sure he can hold up good enough, at least as good as a, a Travis Kelsey in the in the run game. Because Kelsey's not an outstanding blocker, but he's capable and willing. And you saw that in Kyle Pitts' last year at Florida, that he was more willing than he had been because he knew that he, that he had to be. So in in the NFL, he's going to have to be even more willing because what what happens is is that it makes teams easier to scheme for your your offense when they know that this guy can't be at the point of attack on a block or he's bad on the backside or whatever what whatever else. So you and they can game plan and scheme. Oh, it's going to be a pass if he's in, or he's going to be releasing the goal block instead of blocking at the point of attack. And those things really impact how offenses run. So he's got to make himself more of a complete player in the run game to help him be a better passer, pass catcher as well. And George, it seems like kind of the evolution of the tight end position, and maybe you would say it hasn't evolved. It's always kind of been this way. But it seems like now when you get a, a guy like a Kyle Pitts, Nobody even talks about what you just talked about. It's like blocking. No, he's out here to catch touchdowns and and create mismatches. Yeah, no, 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 no. That, that that's what his primary job job is. But to be able to get to do that job and do it more effectively, he's got to he's got to be competent 
not not great, not good. He's just got to be competent in the in the run game because because then that's going to allow him to do more things to be able to get him the ball. It, like like so, he he doesn't have to be great at some of this other stuff. He he's he's just got to be good good enough so he's a threat and it can't put people in a bad spot. We've talked with Ben about this a lot, George, but you look at offenses in the league now, there are a number of them that run through the tight end, where the tight end is arguably the you know the primary pass catcher. Do you think that we're going to see more of that moving forward in the NFL? Uh, as the primary, no. <laughs> I, I think that those are outlier situations, but, but I do think that you're going to see more situations to where um, – to where coaches are finding ways to use their tight ends more. But as far as, I mean, because it makes it very difficult. It's easier to stop an inline tight end when <clears throat> to from getting the ball just just because of the sheer space, right? But so as the primary catcher, no, because the majority of guys aren't going to be able to run past, you know, safeties and run past corners like some of the uh, – Top wide wide receivers are going to be able to do. George, I mean, uh, last night uh, it's a team from Atlanta that went up three one against a team from LA. I don't know if you had a chance uh, to see the game last night. I know it started out this way last year, well, man, man. But what are your what are your early thoughts of you know this uh, this uh, this uh, Dodgers uh, Braves uh, NLCS? Um, did you are you are you an Atlanta Braves fan? Uh, I mean, I mean, yes, I mean, I, I, yeah, yes. By default, no. Of course, I'm a Atlanta. Are, 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 I don't, I don't want to assume. Are you, are you a Dodgers fan? Absolutely, diehard. So yes, I mean, listen, if you, listen, I only wear two kinds of hats. I mean, Atlanta and nothing else. If I don't got on a town down, fit it. Sure. It's not me. But no, I mean, we we saw this last year though, George three one. This break different, different Dodgers team, different Braves team, but. I mean, uh, how dangerous are your Dodgers, man? When they when they gotta, you know, uh, kind of be, uh, hey, you know, fighting back in this corner. Listen, 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 man. We are we are not dead. We are not buried. We 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 are in a level of concern. However, if I were you, I would be even more concerned than than I am as a Dodgers fan because because Atlanta is the is the most tortured sports city. In America, twenty-eight to three, three-one last year with 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 your Atlanta Braves. Um, Georgia losing to Alabama every year when when they when they think that they're going to win the championship. You got uh, how many times the Braves lost the World Series? Like, dude, Atlanta is a tortured sports city, and then that's before you even get into the the NBA and the fact that you can't even get a good team or a championship caliber team in for for forever. So uh so so uh yeah man I'm I'm feeling good. I'm sitting pretty over over here as a Dodgers Lakers Lakers fan championship both in twenty twenty, you know, and then gonna gonna put another one up in twenty twenty two as as well, man. So hope hopefully, you know, that uh that when the Dodgers do come back that you don't cry on your way to the car, man. George, number one, this is a family show, so we're gonna keep we gonna, we gonna keep things, you know, on the up and up. No, listen, everything. Listen, you you made you made you made a lot of uh, uh, key points there, but this is a different year. Listen, we we don't got LeBron, we got Trigger Trey out here. 
with the with the with the with the with the, with the Atlanta Falcons. But I I I will say just that at the end though, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know feel a certain type of way. But if we can't find a way to uh, if if uh, if those Braves do find a way to go ahead and make it to the World Series, I mean uh I mean we're gonna have to have you back on, man. Hey man, hey, man, look, look, look. If if the if the Braves beat beat the Dodgers, baseball season is officially over, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, bro. Like, I mean, really, truly, think about it. Nobody, nobody wants the Atlanta Braves versus the uh, Houston Astros in the in the World Series. So, you know, I mean, it'll be the lowest rated TV games possible. So, you know, so baseball season will officially be over on my radio show and my podcast as as soon as the Dodgers are done playing, when whenever that is, whether it's today, tomorrow, <laughs> well, well, whether it's today, whether it's Saturday, or whether it is after the World Series is over with. That's when baseball season is. Listen, Jay Z, Mary, Beyonce, George, anything is possible in his life. So I'm just telling you right now, I'm be watching. We watch it out for them A Town Down Braves, man. We might, we might, it might be something different this year. No, no, <laughs> you guys are like, you guys have a sports curse right now that you guys have to have to break prior to you know come 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 to come. I'll ask the champs, man. <laughs> no curses. Don't believe in uh, them at all. George Reister, our guest. George, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Appreciate it. George Reister, our guest here on 3 and I stick by the eight. No curses. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens uh, tonight with the brand. Christian, he's just feeding into your own want there to be a curse. <laughs> you want there to be a reason that, that, that it happens. You do. You do. I, I know what's up. It's about to be 4-1. That's Talk what's about, about it. to be up. We'll come back. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. In light of George Reister talking about the curse and Christian just reveling in it, I mean, Christian is bathing in it like ivory soap. The team is cursed. The town is cursed. This and that. I've come up with a new theory on this is that anymore people want their team to be cursed, Right. Because it makes them feel better about cheering for their team. We didn't win, not because we didn't make the plays. It's because we were cursed. It's because a goat ran on the field back in 1947. That's why the Cubs couldn't win. It couldn't be because their owners were cheap and because they couldn't really put together a bunch of... I mean, yes, did weird stuff happen? Sure. Weird stuff happens in life. Weird stuff happens in sports all the time. Jose Canseco had a home run off of his head. Like, stuff happens. All right, I get Steve Bartman. It's look, just crazy stuff. The bottom line is in sports you have opportunity to make plays. For as much as people want to say, oh, the Falcons 28 to 3. Falcons defense still had plenty of opportunities to get off the field, didn't do it. Right? For as much as Steve Bartman cost the Cubs a chance to go to the postseason, they, they they still had more outs to get in that game. Uh people forget the routine double play that was missed. Uh, right around that same time. People forget that there was a whole nother game left to be played that they could have been. Listen, Christian wants to feel this way. Why? Because he's self-loathing and wants to feel bad. Fine, I'm old. Look, it's sports. Stuff happens. Don't go in here with the...
Yes. Has nothing to do with 28 to 3. Has nothing to do with chickens. Has nothing to do with Mr. Freeze always catching people or whoever he is when, when they're racing. No, no. This is what George started doing. George started saying, hey, George started going to the Lakers. The Lakers got LeBron. If I would have said Kawhi, no, 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 not, not that LA team. And I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, when the Rams went to the Super Bowl, they scored a whopping three points. I'm just saying, but like, when when notice she's like, and you got a Hawks. Like, have the Hawks ever been in a position where they could realistically win the championship? I mean, they, I know they got close, but they I got mean, trick or treat to look real but good. Nobody, ass, but nobody, but no, but I understand that. But nobody really is like, oh, this team's about to win the championship. Come on, no curses. Stop buying into all that nonsense and, 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 let's and call, just oh, enjoy the game. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Just enjoy it. Did he try to say how many World Series did the Braves win? Hey, look, don't be trying to get into our history. You know what I'm saying? In the 90s, but I will say this. Everybody can. It's like we talk. We, we talking about we talking about the here and now. He's talking about oh man, we sitting pretty over here. No, you sitting pretty in your career, probably. You know, it's real nice weather out there. In, uh, you know, uh, in SoCal. But I said we're gonna have you back on because when they catch that L, <laughs> this ain't about this ain't about what happens in the World Series, right? This what happened right now. So when them Braves when them Braves be moving on, you know. And now Kevin, I said it. Now after when I win the Braves. Win the World Series. Now we got to go. To, now we got to go to the parade. Just like I say, yo, George, look, look, this, this us right here, Jess. You know, I'm, George gonna talk that trash. I mean, you know, what I'm saying Southern Cal, Southern Cal kid. I mean, you know, he, you know, you know. I said, but it's the thing. I said, uh, okay, I'm from, I'm from, I'm from, uh, from Georgia. Went to Florida. Where did he go to college? Did he go to Southern Cal? He'd go to UCLA. He went to Oregon. <laughs> so all I'm saying is, don't try to act all this recent stuff. But yes, Kevin, it's about the here and now to my 2022. What's going to happen to 2021 when the Braves be hoisting up that <laughs> World Series trophy, though? We live in the present. And then you reference the Georgia-Alabama game. Is that is is what happens in Athens part of the Atlanta sports curse? Christian is saying it is a Georgia sports curse, which totally explains the six national championships for Georgia Southern and the four for Val. I mean, I get it. You know, it's fine. Are you discounting those? Because it's fine. If you are, just say yes, because I discount Atlanta United. I don't count that either. Okay, that's fine. (laughs) Y'all pick and choose. This is absurd. Look, I think Christian really just wants to, uh, to to feel bad about his sports teams. He doesn't really, you don't really feel. No, I'm saying, but you come in here and you come in here and you talk all the time. It's like, but you don't ever really feel good unless there's something to feel bad about. Like that's what I'm saying. I, I, and 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 Georgia fans and Braves fans need to get just get over it. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's sports. The other team is trying. Like it's fine. This Braves team is really good. I feel good about them going in tonight. Whether or not the only thing I do believe in in sports is the don't talk things into existence thing. I don't even, like I don't go out and say that team X is going to win the national championship. Team X is going to win the World Series. Team X is going to win the uh, the the Super Bowl. Don't say stuff like that because you that that, that just doesn't need to be said. Why? But why does it need no because it's not because of a curse. It's just because you don't 
speak things aloud and say we're we're chalking it up. That because you don't chalk things up in sports, you especially not national titles and world titles. You don't do that because again, that's the that's the peak of performance in your sport. So you don't just walk out there and say it's over. We're we've got this thing won. You don't do that in sports. That's not because I believe in curses. I just don't think you chalk it up till you win. All right, all right, what do up, you say? So, it ain't yeah. over till it's over. So you don't start going out there saying it's done in game three of a, of a of best of seven. Okay, with, with all that said, uh, is is this series over? Not until the Braves finish one. I, look, no, it's not. Look, I feel good about it. I, if you're going to say, give me Max Fried versus the Dodger bullpen, yes. Are you going to say, give me this Braves lineup against a Dodgers lineup without Justin Turner and Max Muncy? Yeah, feel pretty good about it. Feel pretty good about it. Does that mean it's over? No. Still got to go out there and make plays. It has nothing to do with whether or not Luke Jackson comes into the ball game or not. Listen, we're not. We, we, listen, we was having a good show. We're not going to let George come up here and mess up the flow no, I'm not, of this show. I, this is it's as gonna, much for Christian as it is everybody else, because Christian is wanting a reason to come in tomorrow and feel bad about himself. You do. He's waiting for the other shoe. No, no. And there's no I, reason I, to be I, like it's, that. Kevin, you said I only feel good when the t- bad things happen. No, I feel even worse. There's just never See, a good but- <laughs> feeling. Like, it is a constant state of being in physical pain by being a, t- a fan of the team I am a fan of. It's bad. That's, that's, I mean, like you said, I, you I'm said you're supposed to be happy when the good things happen. When do the good things happen, Kevin? Uh, the good things happen for 14 straight years with the Atlanta Braves. Would you rather be the Pittsburgh Kevin, Pirates? Kevin, I wasn't in my Would 40s you rather when that was be- happened. You were. Do All right. I said I was I was a youth when that was happening. So so it just didn't happen? No, I just I didn't have a chance to enjoy it because I was worried so, about what so, color. So if you're so if you're under thirty, the curse is real. If you're over thirty, no, we've just, actually seen no, good things thousand, happen. Thousand okay. Real. No, you want to talk about a curse. You won fourteen. Fourteen sure. division championships. How many how many championships did you win? I believe they won one, which is no, you know they better won than one, zero. Kevin. You know they won one. It's better than so. So, so, so that doesn't even make right. sense. No, you won a title. Yeah. It doesn't even not, make sense. Not in this millennia. No. Stop, oh my stop, God. We keep moving stop. the goalposts. No. Kevin, no listen, you're going to be Kevin. 90 years old and saying, "Well, we keep moving the goalposts." <laughs> no. Atlanta has won a recent title. No. BJ, Kevin just shut the hell up. No. Count. No. Kevin just no. doesn't count it. You don't count the MLS no, championship. No. BJ, I do not United. count the That's MLS ridiculous. as a major championship. No. That doesn't count. No, I'm sure somebody from Atlanta has won a chess championship before, and that doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, no. Arthur Blank says he's got a championship. That's fine, but I do not no, recognize just know, Atlanta just United know, championship. If the Braves lose tonight, I'm going to come in here. I'm going to give you that look. Give me the look, because and I'll say, you know what? Walker, it's still not a curse. You're going to have Walker Bleep and Bueller <laughs> and Max Scherzer back-to-back, and we all know what's coming. No, you don't know what's coming. It's sports. Go make a play, Kevin. You know how many times? The end. You know how many times as a fan of the team I uh, of I am because I know you're not a fan of certain teams in this state. No, well, I'm I mean, not going to say which ones because you're super weird about which teams you root for. So you're not a fan of of certain teams in the state. I just <laughs> if there's a team in the state, I'm a fan of it. Let's just put it out there like that. You know how many times I've been right there, like right there, and I'm like maybe I'm just going to let myself be happy. Maybe, 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 and then they just rip your heart out. And then they just well, rip I'm sorry, it out you've of your never jet. tasted and victory. And then they hold it, and then they hold it in your face, and they, and you watch it beating in your face. That's what they do to you, and it's happened time and time again. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry you haven't tasted victory, but no, there are opportunities me, in this state for you to say, "I have seen a team win a championship." When I was three so, years old, that, that still counts. Three years old. That still counts. When I was three years old. Quit trying to make yourself feel bad about Kevin, stuff. Just because you were 47 I mean, listen, when the Braves won the World Kevin. Series. 
if you had your tonsils taken out when you were seven, did it still happen? It did. It did. Name, I was seven. No, 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 no. It doesn't name, count. Name one significant thing you can remember from when you were three. From when I was growing three? Up, growing. You don't remember that. From when I was three years old? I remember playing in the backyard. Oh, my God. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> if you don't think Atlanta sports are cursed, you, you're they're, not they're paying not, attention. They're not. You're not paying attention. They're not. You're not paying attention. So by that metric, they should have never fired anybody with the Falcons. You say, look, guys, it's fine. Dan Quinn, you're just cursed. It wasn't ever going to happen. You weren't going mean, to win. I could, it I was could, a curse. Therefore, you should still be the head coach because no matter well, I mean, what that, you did, Dan Quinn, metric, Jones, you're never going to win. By that metric, June Jones should still be the head coach. That's right. I'm cool with that. You never, you, you never fire Freddie Gonzalez because, by God, Freddie, it's never going to happen. You are a coach of an Atlanta sports franchise. You are never going to win a World Series because it's just it's not in the cards. It's not your fault. It's a curse's fault. No, go out and win a game. Man, for somebody who doesn't believe in something, you're really passionate about it. I'm, pa- I'm passionate well, about on. people who are believing in this nonsense, I, I and that is actually real. If, if we're talking about a Georgia sports curse – is Ben part of that, given what happened in 2002? No, Ben was powered by the curse. No, he's not powered by the curse. Yeah, no, ben, no, he's no, not. No, he's not currently, but the, the, the curse. No, no, some no, extra curse, voodoo did yes. not jump into Ben's body for 18 it, seconds. It, yes, yes, no, it did. did. No, it did ben, not. No, Ben. No, Ben. I, I want to give Ben a second. I'm going I'm to pose this question because I stole Ben's mic, and then I'm going to hand it over to Ben. Ben, did you not say prior to catching that you were like dog tired you were being covered by one of the greatest georgia linebackers slash safeties of all time you could barely run and yet somehow you must have no kevin i'm asking ben a question That's not fine. you i'm not gonna I mean, let you're you. really 30 I'm, for 30 no, no, this I'm thing big time you. i'm not ben gonna let you pj this you're trying to I'm he not couldn't even curl his no, toes no, he no, was no. so tired I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna let you pj this where you just step all over the conversation <laughs> ben you have told me multiple times that you were exhausted, could barely feel your legs, could barely feel your arms, you're being guarded by Thomas Davis, and you caught it. The voodoo of this curse is what helped you. No. I've never really looked at it as being powered by the curse, but, I mean, whatever Listen, whatever got me there, and, and you forgot, and listen, and you're right, I did go, against, go up against Thomas Davis, one of the greatest saviors of all time, Boss Bailey, the brother of Champ Bailey, to be able to uh, catch pass against him. This is all within the same drive. I mustered up enough grit. No, I was tired as hell. I don't know how I did it. I the did curse. it. It's not the curse. And I, and I, and I, Success. Was always there listen, 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 for somebody listen. to take. I was, claw- I was clawing for that inch. Success is where <laughs> preparation meets opportunity. Talk about it, Kevin. No, listen. Listen, Ben, we wrote a story on your catch a couple of years ago, so this is not just Ben saying this in the moment. To affirm, no to, a, to affirm Christian's point, this is a story from multiple years ago, and a direct quote from Ben talking about the play says, quote, I was exhausted. I had nothing left, end quote. Well, Ben was lying. Except the ghost. Because he had enough left for one more play. So now Ben's a liar. In that moment, maybe he is. I'm saying. Ben, did you, you, had, you had something left. You made a play. Listen, listen, listen. What that, listen, whatever it took to get there, if it was a curse, <laughs> if it was the electrolytes, whatever it took to get there, I got there, and I'm not taking it back. So, Christian, my next book is going to be called what? What, uh, what about the curse? What you call it, Christian? I was energized by the curse. Hey, I, I will take it. And we're gonna need listen, we're gonna need the Braves to be energized by the curse today and go ahead and get that dub. <sighs> Just Braves fans, chill out and cheer on the team. And watch them go out there and make plays. Good night. Oh my God, I'm not gonna let you do this, Kevin. Oh, it's Atlanta Sports. Don't, 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 no, don't come on. Crap. We're not all happy about the facts. 
Don't give me that poop mouth. The facts don't have to always make you feel happy, but it's not. You can't just sit there and go, it's not going to happen because of the fact that we live in the 404. No, that's ridiculous. First of all, keep the 404 out of this. I'm not hashtag 404 the culture. Actually, I think the Braves are technically now in a 770 or a 678 area code now, so they're not technically 404 the culture. But no, I'm saying I do. We don't have to be happy that facts exist, but they do exist, Kevin. And the fact is the Braves are cursed. The Bulldogs are cursed. The Falcons are cursed. Literally, Bamani Jones says he has given up being a Falcons fan because of it. Like well, that's he, on him. Like he, he said it's like getting rid of an addiction because nothing good was ever going to come of it. I'm just saying, listen, you follow, you're a fan of a Falcons team that never had back-to-back winning seasons up until about eight years ago, and you want to treat them like they're the daggum Pittsburgh Steelers. Cool, Kevin. Come no, on. No, let's, just like, avoid the let's, fact, no, let's just avoid the fact they were up 28-3 to in the And Super that Bowl. has nothing let's to do just, with a curse. Just ignore that That fact. has yeah. everything to yeah, do yeah, Jordan with... Edelman, Jordan Edelman levitated. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that had nothing to do with the curse. And prior nothing. to the bad Zero. third and fourth Zero. down call, Julio no, Jones that... would make one of the great catches in Super Bowl history. Yeah, that's Julio if they was, that not was Julio a great Edelman. play by Edelman. I'm, I'm coming around. Whatever. He levitated. I hope, he I hope after the Braves get it done tonight that you and BJ you come here with your sad done. faces on no, and you can go, there's a curse. It's still, ah, it's no, still not no, over. Get there's out of here with that. More games. That is so there's bad. Still four more games after that. No, you got to win. I mean, you're, you're justifying. No, now Kevin's no, saying. No, no. Now Kevin's You're saying, justifying your feeling bad because there's always one more game. Now Kevin's saying that he's just happy that he's just happy getting to the World Series doesn't actually want to win it. I'd say that's a heck of an accomplishment given where this. That's a loser mentality, Kevin. It's not a loser mentality. I didn't say, hey, go lay down, Braves. You said, I'm happy to be Go here. lay down. Don't Lose try. Look, given where they were to where they're at, yes, this is a heck of a run, and they will have first yet another round. was a witch, bro. Yeah. Grow up. It's three and out. Good to have you back here, three and out, on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Ben, your thoughts on tonight's uh, Braves game? Oh, man, that is really uh, – so true. That was the best take of the day, BJ. He about keep see see when we come. I'm cursed. This place is cursed. I was just gonna let. I mean, I was, I was gonna let you go, Ben. I mean, no, no. You should have just sat there in no, silence, no, this, man. This, this, this is the thing, though. I like the fact that I like the fact that not only did Christian take my mic, he didn't give it back. I come here, I'm like, uh, Christian, like, we'll take it back because I'm not gonna touch it because this mic is cursed now. No, no, Kevin, listen, let Christian get it out. That's a sour. We've got, we'll get to that again later, but we'll see. We'll talk some, uh, we'll talk some college football though. As we get past the halfway point, we're now in the home stretch of the uh, college football season. Who do you feel should be the Heisman favorite? Bryce Young, Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, uh, all about the same in terms of completion percentage, pretty close in yards, uh, that they've uh, completed for and touchdowns. I think uh, Bryce Young, the most 24 touchdowns, three picks, 14 to one for Matt Corral, 21 to one for Kenny Pickett. I think uh, Pickett there at Pitt going to have the blemish against Western Michigan, though, in that game through for six touchdowns. Who do you got as kind of your Heisman front runner right now? I would say Bryce Young right now, and I do think Matt Corral would be, would be number two for me. And that seems to be kind of the national consensus, but I think in some ways we've, kind of like with Oklahoma quarterbacks to a certain extent, we have these expectations that 
we just assume will be met for quarterbacks at, at Alabama, and we maybe don't give the full credit that's deserved. Bryce Young's completing 70% of his passes. He already has over 2,000 yards. He's averaging almost 9.5 yards per pass attempt. He has 24 touchdowns, and I think he's done that against a more difficult schedule than, than, than probably Corral and certainly Pickett, and I think doing it with the unrelenting pressure that you're going to deal with when you're the Alabama quarterback, I think that matters to a certain extent too. Uh, one element of Matt Corral's game, though, that I think you have to look at is his rushing production. Uh, he is just a couple of rushing scores off, off the national lead. He has, as you referenced, Kevin, comparable passing stats, uh, at least within the same ballpark to Young, and he has 450 rushing yards and eight rushing touchdowns. I mean, there's a chance he could get to 1,000 rushing yards. He's clearly going to get to double digits with the touchdown runs. But for me right now, I would go uh, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, maybe a little bit be beyond the reach of Pickett right now. Now, Kenny Pickett has had a fantastic start to the season. First half, like you mentioned, you want to put him third, I'm good with that. If he has a big performance against Clemson on Saturday, and you may say, oh, Clemson, they're not that good. Well, the defense is. This defense is still elite. If he does it against Clemson, move him up there. Absolutely. Bryce Young will be my number one right now, BJ, as well. I know you look at the rushing attempts. There's no rushing attempts because they know that they know they're going to need him down the stretch. They're not going to put him in harm's way by having him tucking and running. I think when you look at a guy like Matt Corral, is a bona fide dual threat quarterback. When you look at we look at what eight touchdowns on the season rushing, uh, you know, uh, when you and when you add that to what he does throwing the football, I mean, he's a I mean, he's a weapon. I mean, Mac, I mean, Macarrell is giving you all he got for an Ole Miss team to understand that if he don't play well, they're not going to do well. But Bryce Young is, is playing for legacy. Bryce Young is trying to be the first. In Alabama's great history, storied history, they've never had a Heisman Trophy winner at the quarterback position, even with what, you know, uh, Mac Jones was able to do last year. And I think that Bryce Young understands that, you know, what's at stake. I know it's about QBRs. I know it's about, you know, uh, you know, yards, but you know, uh, you know, uh, I mean, uh, yak and all these different things. But for me, I just like the fact that Bryce Young is embracing this thing. He understands that I am still at arguably the best school in the country, even if we don't have number one next to our names right now. So, like what Matt Corral is doing, uh, BJ, and I do think the rushing numbers aren't taking into effect of just how great of a player Matt Corral is. But Bryce Young understands that this is about getting to Atlanta. This is about getting back to the college football playoff. This is about hoisting up another national championship and adding Heisman Trophy to his name. So. Give me Bryce Young, young man, finding a way to you know step up in a big way. Yeah, and guys putting up uh, unbelievable numbers. You mentioned the three or the two guys that were at the front uh, there. Both have a loss. I think you look at Oklahoma and with Spencer Rattler not starting anymore, he's certainly moving uh, down the list, if not off it. JT Daniels hasn't been able to play in a number of games, so he's uh, gone from a early – what, he was the betting favorite going into the season, wasn't he, BJ, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, JT Daniels, he's probably down and off the list. Kenny Pickett's one, as you said, a good performance against Clemson. Not going to have a lot of chances after that uh, to really make his case. He's got Miami, some teams that are kind of middling. But if you finish the regular season 11-1 – and go to the ACC championship game against NC State, who also could be sitting there at 11-1, and one, and you, you put up numbers there, could be a potential, at least an opportunity for you to make a case if those numbers can He's at 70%. If you'll let me round up, he's at 69.8% completion, 21-1 uh, to one touchdown to interception ratio. He's been, uh, been phenomenal. I think the betting favorite would be Bryce Young there at Alabama. But I think quietly, uh, again, if you uh, just double-take and say there's the, the blip, against Western Michigan, which they lost by three, and he threw for uh, six touchdown passes and nearly 400 yards in that game. 
they didn't lose because of him uh, in in that situation. So I think he's an interesting kind of dark horse guy that probably not a lot of people are talking about at the end of the day in, in, in that Heisman discussion. Yeah, he's been spectacular. And and I think he's a big reason why Pitt is where they are. And if Pitt beats Clemson on Saturday, I think that elevates the national pro profile of the Panthers, but also uh, uh, Pickett individually. And, Kevin, the numbers are very comparable. And that's why you think you think about Heisman odds in you know, late October. It's hard to kind of have great conviction with your picks because the numbers are so similar. But I think it's a spotlight game for Pickett. I did go and look, and I was – relatively surprised i i went and ranked all of the uh defenses in the country by pass defense ratings so not yards given up i think some of that can be a little circumstantial but pass defense rating and gave each opponent uh that pittsburgh alabama and old miss played a numerical ranking and i averaged them all out uh kenny pickett the average defense that he's faced in terms of pass defense rating out of what, 129 or whatever it is, FBS teams is 81.6. Bryce Young was at 73.2, and Matt Corral was at 64.6. So none of those numbers necessarily awe-inspiring when you think about going up against uh, tougher competition or how do you weigh who you play. I, I, there's a lot of football left. I think Pickett's in the conversation, but I would go uh, uh, Young, excuse me, one, and Corral two right now. I mean, BJ. I mean, I'm, I'm shocked that you. We here. We are talking about Heisman Trophy uh, front runners, and you ain't even you ain't even talking about old Grayson McCall. I know he was on TV last night, and you know, I mean, I know he might have got you know uh, kind of like might have got outplayed a little bit, but I mean, no Grace, no Grayson McCall sightings. And we talking about the Heisman. You say it's all about oh, it's because he don't play nobody and things of that nature. I mean, why you think uh, Grayson McCall ain't getting the love? Well, I, he wasn't to begin with, and that's kind of why. I mean, I think he should be in the conversation. Uh, his passer rating, just an update after last night, is still at 225.8. That's about 20 points higher, which is extremely substantial than the than the record Mac Jones set a year ago. He's averaging over 13 yards per pass attempt and completing over 77% of his passes, which is just silly. I mean, that's video game stuff. But I do think, much like the point Kevin made with Kenny Pickett, even if even if you lost for different reasons, you lose to Western Michigan if you're Kenny Pickett, that's going to be held against you. And I think App State's a very good team. That was a compelling game last night, but you lost. You weren't getting a ton of Heisman buzz before then, which I don't think was right. But I think when you talk about kind of where the public interest is right now, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of buzz around Grayson McCall. But Ben, to your point, I, I definitely think there should be. We've got more to come here on 3 Now. Speaking of that Sunbelt contest, Sunbelt in the news, possible expansion on the horizon. We'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the show. Also, Roddy Jones, uh, former Georgia Tech A-back, will join us. Bill Shanks, host of the Bill Shanks Show, will join us, and we will talk some Braves baseball with him. This is 3 and Out. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out. Max Reed goes for the Braves tonight. We'll have full coverage for you starting at 650 and uh, Christian just gave me this little nugget, uh, BJ. Max Freed with a chance. He's from California. A chance to send the Braves to the World Series in his home state. Actually, not far from his hometown. Is he fr he's from Santa Monica, which is basically in L.A. So, Max Freed, a chance to do Hey, it's like not for the hometown team, but a chance is a little kid. Hey, I'm in uh, an elimination game with a chance to send my team to the World Series. I can do it in my home city, basically. Great stuff, and he's been awesome. He's been absolutely awesome, and I think he's he's earned the opportunity that he has tonight. He's earned the trust of everybody on the team. When you think about a game where you want to close it out, 
Max Freed, the performances we've seen, that's the type of effort it's going to take. So I believe in Max Freed, Ben. I think to be able to get it done tonight, forget about game six or seven, get it done tonight, wrap it up. I have some quick breaking news uh, from the Atlanta Braves 10 minutes ago. Jorge Soler has been cleared by Major League Baseball to return from the COVID-related list. And he is available to play in tonight's ballgame for the Atlanta Braves, and he will take over for Christian Pache on the active roster. So there's a little breaking news for you there. We've got more to come here on 3 and Out. We'll look at college football, conference expansion in the news. Roddy Jones will join us in the final hour, and Bill Shanks joins us talking a little Braves baseball as well. It's 3 and Out on this Thursday afternoon all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live, ESPNCoastal.com, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you back here, three and out, final hour of the program, but a busy hour here. We've got Roddy Jones, uh, ACC Network, uh, joining us in about uh, 15 minutes on the show. We'll hear from Bill Shanks, host of the Bill Shanks Show there in Macon and Warner Robins. We'll talk some Braves baseball with him. Jorge Soler back uh, on the roster for tonight's ball game. No word on what his role might be, but he is back off the COVID list uh, as well. But college football always in the news, BJ and Ben, and college football expansion back at it. Uh, again, officially today, as we knew the dominoes had dropped for Texas and Oklahoma. There was going to be residual moves. The Big 12 thusly had to replace. Then you had the power struggle in those uh, you know, G5 schools, uh, BJ and Ben, who said, what's going to happen to us? And right now, based on the talking points, it appears like the ACK is now going to get a whole lot bigger and better, uh, adding some teams out of Conference USA and it appears that the Sun Belt will be a poacher, not a poachee, and that may spell the end of Conference USA altogether as a lot of moves announced today about the ACK going to get bigger here moving forward. Yes, and this is a lot to follow, but it looks like, as you referenced, Conference USA may have a lot of questions to try to answer here moving forward. As you've seen, uh, a number of teams, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, and UAB uh, are going to move to the to the ACK, and then you have a Conference USA that then has a lot of holes. And the Sun Belt, keep in mind, the Sun Belt only has ten teams right now. You have a two division format in football, I should say. In football, you have ten teams, uh, five on one side, five on the other side. And I think the goal, at least theoretically, conversationally, even if just to talk about, was hey, what about a twelve team league? What about a fourteen team league? And you've had a lot of, uh, you know, reports out there. Chris Vanini and uh, Pete Thamel have been uh, breaking news on this. But it looks like, looks like Southern Miss, which is a program that has ties, you know, history with a number of teams in the Sun Belt currently, maybe coming over to the Sun Belt, potentially Marshall, uh, possibly, coming down, joining the Sun Belt. I think Marshall with a number of programs, obviously, in the Sun Belt. And then, Theoretically, I think you are considering a couple of potential holdovers within Conference USA and maybe an FCS team, which is, of course, Division One in every other sport. We've seen James Madison uh, mentioned as a potential target to go along with uh, Old Dominion and uh, 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 Marshall Southern Miss and then James Madison. Those would be your four potentially that would get you uh, to 14 in football. And I think theoretically, Kevin and Ben, even if you just look at the addition of Marshall and Southern Miss, you could have a hypothetical Sunbelt East of Appalachian State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Troy and Marshall. 
Those are programs that all know each other, programs that have all played each other, often in very big games. And then, again, possibly Arkansas State, Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe, uh, South Alabama, Texas State, and Southern Miss out west. So it looks like, as you referenced and said, the Sun Belt's going to be adding teams, not losing teams in this updated round of expansion. This is what happens when you're coming in with momentum, right? The Sun Belt is a conference that obviously, like, listen, we want to, we covered it. We covered the programs that's going to be able to add, you know, uh, to the tradition of the Sun Belt already because you're talking about Southern Miss and Marshall. If you're talking about the act, and, and it's almost like you're getting, you getting these leftovers. Like, all right, man, who, who's left that we can go ahead <clears throat> try to go ahead and, uh, you know, add to this conference? But I, I do think, BJ, I played Southern Miss. You got you, you know, something you mentioned, Kevin. Now you got you a team in Mississippi, a team that's, you know, been relatively – I mean, they haven't been great, but they've been a good program. Marshall, you know, I mean, what, West Virginia now, you, you, get, to, you get to be in those neck of the woods to try to – because it, it comes down to recruiting. It comes down to, listen, these Thursday night games. Thursday night, you know, Thursday night at Paulson, you got Marshall, you know, coming to town to play Georgia Southern. That's going to be a big game. I mean, so I think that when you look at the way the Sun Belt has done it, it shows that they're utilizing that. Look, we, we, we're we not arguing. We're, 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 you know, we're the best G5 conference right now going. When you look at what Coastal Carolina has added to this conference as of late, you get a chance to add a Southern Miss and a Marshall. That's going to be, you know, it's going to look really, really good. Old Dominion and John Madison, I mean, hey, you know, you, you know. Can't win them all. I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying sometimes you got to just add some teams that can hope, hopefully hopefully boost uh, the reputation uh, of your overall conference. But the act, I mean, FAU, Charlotte, North Texas, UTSA, Rice, UAB, I mean, good luck. But I, I do know this is a this is a trickle effect, right, BJF? When, when Texas and Oklahoma decide to come over to the SEC, now these other conferences are obviously going to suffer. Well, I think this is what the, the reality of the situation is, is we might be looking at it going from a – uh, P5 and G5 to a P5 and G4 uh, because, uh, I mean, who's left? I mean, and this is a serious question because they're like, well, maybe they go and try to poach the Sun Belt. I mean, Sun Belt, you got to be looking at it and say, look, we're in a better position than Conference USA, who has had a bunch of teams uh, bolt and leave early uh, or, or leave the conference. Sun Belt has 10, 10 pretty solid football programs for the most part, pretty good athletics conference. You get Marshall, which gives you West Virginia. And again, people say, well, I thought it was, I think it used to be about TV markets. Now I think it's about footprint because with streaming rights and all that, it kind of goes everywhere. But it would give you another state that has Sunbelt property in there. And then you look at uh, Southern Miss, gives you a state right smack dab in the middle of your footprint that you currently have no relationship with at all. And uh, that would be uh, Southern Miss. And there's been times, maybe not right now, but there has been times, uh, BJ and Ben, where people in Mississippi would argue, was Southern Miss actually a better team than Mississippi State or Ole Miss at certain points? And I think that's another one to give you. Now, if you look at Conference USA, you would say, as this thing shakes out, well, what's left? You have, what, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State. I think Middle Tennessee would be interesting if you want to go to 14. That gives you another state of Tennessee. And who's left? Can you go out and get six, seven, eight teams to get you back to that magic number if you're Conference USA? I think today kind of signifies uh, quickly that we might be looking at a a uh, P5 and a G4 in the not-too-distant future. Got about 30 seconds. And you guys summed it up. This is all a response to the expansion moves that we've seen at the Power 5 level, and it trickles down. But uh, I think there's a lot of solidarity amongst the Sunbelt teams. You think about the additions of Southern Miss, potentially Marshall. Uh, there's a lot of excitement and positive energy and momentum moving forward. We've got more to come. Roddy Jones will join us when we come back. Former uh, Georgia Tech A-back now with the ACC Network, and we'll talk to him next here on 3 and Out. 
Good to have you back here on 3 and Out on this Thursday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. Big weekend for the ACC. And uh, joining us here, uh, former Georgia Tech ABAC and now with the ACC Network, Roddy Jones joins us. Roddy, welcome to the show. How are you? I am great, guys. I appreciate you having me. Hey, appreciate you coming on. We were talking earlier uh, about potential Heisman Trophy uh, candidates and a guy we kind of brought up with a, uh, a, perform- a good performance this weekend against a really good Clemson defense, despite what Clemson uh, is compared to what we thought they were, is Kenny Pickett. How big of a statement can he make this week if Pitt can go uh, continue with just that one loss and beat Clemson with a good offensive showing? I think, I think he, he absolutely can make a massive statement. I think when you look at what he's been able to do this year, he's got the second-best offense in, in scoring offense, in the entire country, he's been able to put up massive numbers. When you look at his passing numbers, his touchdown numbers, he's only throwing one interception on the year. He's been spreading the ball around to a bunch of different guys. I just really love what Kenny Pickett's been able to do. And he's sort of been building towards this. He's a great story in, in, in making the right decision. Uh, this is a guy that had a senior bowl invite coming into or coming out of last year he very well could have gone to the senior bowl with a good performance been drafted early probably on the third day um which made him a fourth or fifth round pick that's kind of where he was slotted but he comes back and has been ascending up draft boards i mean this is the kyle trask the joe burrow maybe he's not going to get as far as joe burrow up to number one overall but but that sort of ascent uh, is a testament to him and believing his coaches. He's, a, he's close with Peyton Manning, so believing what Peyton was telling him about what to work on, and he's just playing at an unbelievably high level. So, so I think that Kenny Pickett has had an excellent season. Clemson may not be nationally respected as a whole, but their defense certainly is. So this would be a huge statement if he's able to put up some big numbers against a really good Clemson Tigers defense. Uh, I know that we have a time limit on this interview, so I'll keep it as short as I can. Um, First off, their offensive line has not played all that well. Uh, Secondly, their receivers uh, have not played all that well, although they're starting to play better. Uh, Thirdly, because the offensive line hasn't played well, the running backs haven't been able to to get off. And then DJ Uyunglele has looked like his confidence is shaken. And when you have an offense that's trying to come together and figure out who they are, you need some leadership to take take the reins. And Tony Elliott said this week that there's not a lot of vocal leaders there. They're, they're trying to figure out how to operate on offense without the vocal leadership, without being able to do the stuff that they've done in the past. So I think it's all those things coming together at once. It's sort of a, a new-look staff. It's uh, on the back end with Tyler Grisham in his second year, C.J. Spiller in his first year, Tony Elliott taking over at the, in the tight ends room. You've got a new quarterback. You've got new running backs. You've got an, in, uh, an offensive line that's not as talented as some that they've had there and certainly not as talented as, as the Clemson peers across the country. And then a wide receiver room that's kind of become frustrated because of all of that. So, so it's, a, it's a mixture that, that gets you there. It's not just one thing. What's going on this year in the ACC? As you mentioned, Clemson isn't playing well. North Carolina isn't playing well. I mean, uh, De'Ara King is hurt again. Wake, Pitt, North NC State, they seem to be playing a lot better. What, what is your take on the ACC as a whole, especially when we used to it being a certain way, right? And when it's not, and we got to take, you know, we got to, we got to look at more teams that's not usually at the forefront. It seems like the national narrative is, well, Clemson isn't good, so the ACC is down as a whole. 
You know, I kind of have this theory, Ben, that the ACC is exactly like it is every year, other than the fact that Clemson isn't in the national narrative. Like, behind Clemson, this is kind of how it goes in the league. Like, you have a team that pops up, you know, Wake Forest ends up 7-1, and one, and then they struggle in November, or – or Pitt, uh, you know, has a has a tough loss, and then down the down the stretch they falter. Or NC State a few years ago uh, drops a couple of games that they shouldn't have, but they're kind of hanging out in, the, in that mid-teens range. Even last year, uh, outside of, of Clemson and North Carolina, you had my, or excuse me, Clemson and Notre Dame, you had Miami and North Carolina hanging out there, you know, kind of in the teens, able to climb up. So, so I don't think the ACC is all that different than it is on a year-to-year basis. The only difference is at the very top, Clemson isn't in that college football playoff conversation. Wake Forest looks more legit. Pitt looks more legit than we've seen in the past. But if we had Clemson undefeated and number two in the country, we'd be thinking, oh, it's another normal year in the ACC, uh, or, or has the ACC gotten better? Clemson's the main difference, in my opinion. Uh, you talk about those teams, Wake Forest, NC State, some of those teams. How good are those teams that if uh, a couple of those teams finish the regular season with one loss, go to an ACC championship game with just one loss, would they be in a national title discussion or just the resume is not going to stack up? I'll answer the second question first. Um, no ACC team that ends up with one loss is going to be in a national title discussion. You, you look at the, the teams that can, um, NC State, uh, sure, they'll get up there if they were to end up with one loss ACC champion, but they lost to the seventh best team in the SEC West, um, and that's Mississippi State. So, so that's not going to get you there. Uh, Pitt could do it, but, but you've lost to Western Michigan, who, who knows where they, uh, who knows where they're going to end up in the, uh, in the, um, in the MAC this year. So ultimately, and then Wake Forest, like they would have a loss in the league, and then the question's going to be asked, who's Wake Forest's best win? So there's going to be a lot of questions about those teams. Now, those teams are still really good teams. Like those teams could be top ten teams. They're just not going to be top four teams at the end of the season. So I think that that, that as you get down the line, a lot of teams have stuff in front of them. Like uh, NC State still has Wake Forest to play. Pitt still got Clemson, obviously, and then most of the Coastal to play. Wake Forest still has Boston College, Clemson, NC State to play in a non-conference game against North Carolina. So so there's a lot of ball still to play, but I don't think you're going to get an ACC team in the national discussion. It'd be a great test case. It really would be. I've been uh, sort of preaching the Pac-12 teams for years, just, you know, not to schedule hard non-conference games, try and go undefeated and see what happens, uh, and basically dare the committee to leave you out. Uh, I don't think there is any circumstance that an undefeated Power 5 champion gets left out. I just don't see that happening. I think the system breaks in a way that, that is, uh, that is really going to disrupt college football. We're already talking about expansion. If an undefeated Power 5 champion gets left out, then there's no more discussion about expansion. It's like, no, we're expanding next year because that can't happen. Like, what is the point of playing a Power 5 schedule if it doesn't matter the strength of the league, if you go undefeated and you don't get in? So, yeah, I think if Wake Forest goes undefeated, they should be in the top four because you've run through one of the leagues that we've anointed as good enough to get you in the college football playoff. And, Roddy, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to preface this question where I am not calling for the firing of Manny Diaz by no stretch of the imagination, 
But when you think about the when you think about Miami as a, as a whole as a program, and Manny Diaz a head coach, obviously he's the guy now. But why is it so hard for them to find the guy to help get them back to not necessarily where they used to be, but get them back to just being nationally relevant on a consistent level? Well, Ben, you're like the only person not calling for the firing of Manny Diaz at this point. Um, I, I think I think the reason that it's so hard is Miami uh, as a whole, number one, they were way behind when it came to facilities. Them and Florida State kind of had a similar through line there of thinking that their tradition and their access to talent would, uh, would overcome their lack of facilities. Uh, but that's just not the case. Like the best recruiting team in South Florida – uh, has been Alabama, and they've got facilities and they've got NFL track record that Miami doesn't have. So you got to have the facilities at least, because if you don't have either, guys aren't going to stay home. Um, and the world changed on Miami in a way that I don't think fans really appreciate. Number one, like back in those days, guys didn't take visits other places. Like if you were from South Florida, you visited Miami, Florida, Florida State. That's about it. You didn't go to Alabama. You didn't go to Georgia. You didn't go to Clemson. It just wasn't in the realm of possibility. You didn't go to Nebraska. It wasn't in the realm of possibility that you would do that. So you stayed in South Florida. Now that's not the case. And number two, I think there needs to be a recognition from Miami fans. You're, you're not close. Like, you're, you're just not. And getting close takes time. Look at what Clemson did. You are much more like Clemson when Dabo Swinney first took over than you are like Alabama when, when, uh, when Nick Saban first took over. So, so the, the recognition that it's going to take time, I think, needs to be there. You can't keep firing coaches. Like, Mark Rick obviously left, but you can't keep going through the turnover that they're going through, that they've been through the past few seasons uh, with Manny Diaz, the, the, the coordinator turnover, and obviously him coming in after Mark Rick. So they're, they're far away. They have to recognize that. I don't know if Manny Diaz is the right guy or not, but either way, whoever they give it the job to next, if it's not Manny Diaz, needs a lot of time. It's not a it's not a two or three year thing to have them back to national relevance. Roddy Jones joining us, ACC Network, and uh, Roddy, finally, just kind of a big picture question. You talked about expansion of the playoffs, and in the last day or two, college football expansion has been uh, all in the news. Might when the dust settled, we be looking at a G five and a or a P five and a G four when it's all said and done. Yeah, well, Conference USA is going to have to scramble because uh, I would say their best teams are this, this problem on the phone right now with Marshall, Louisiana Tech, maybe a couple others to, to, to see if those schools want to join to form the best G5 conference uh, around. So I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. You know, I, the, the, the moves that the American made were interesting. Um, I, I don't know if it moved the it didn't move the needle for them very much from a football standpoint, but I guess from a geographical standpoint, they've solidified the state of Texas, uh, keeping the Mountain West out. So, uh, so we'll see. We'll see what moves Conference USA has. We'll see what moves the Sun Belt has. But uh, it's been wild, man. The, all of the movement uh, that has happened uh, over the course of the last four or five months was certainly unanticipated. But it all started when the couple of behemoths decided to go to the SEC. I do think it was informative, though. With 2023 being when those teams are going to move to the uh, to conference to, uh, to the American, uh, it kind of informs you on when Texas and Oklahoma may join the SEC. Landscape of college football, Roddy Jones, our guest here on Three and Out. Roddy, always appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks, guys. Roddy Jones joining us here on Three and Out, and as we talked about, a big weekend for the ACC, and just kind of looking at the 
ever-developing landscape of college football. As you said, the Conference USA lost a bunch today. Can they keep some of their members from jumping ship to the Sun Belt? A lot of talk about the Sun Belt being interested in at least two of what's left in, in Conference USA. And if you lose those two, who's left uh, at that point? Uh, BJ, can you, as he said, cobble together enough teams probably having to promote a number of SCS programs that want to step up uh, at that point to keep that conference as a, uh, a viable entity. The name that's been mentioned is uh, James Madison, but I do think you're going to see somebody from the FCS level, which of course is Division One and everything, and, and football is subdivided. Uh, but I think you will see James Madison and maybe another name be targeted as a possible program to move up. And James Madison has been a consistent football power at the FCS level, but uh, some uncertainty. And and I do think if you are the AC, you clearly uh, feel strongly about a confident future going out and adding new teams and spreading your footprint. And as Roddy said, uh, kind of uh, adding more viability in the state of Texas. If you're the Sun Belt, I think you're looking around saying, we need to add a few more teams. If you're Conference USA, I don't know what you do because the number of teams you just lost is just so considerable, so significant. How do you replace a half dozen teams? And even if you can get, uh, you know, your current members to stay, you're talking about basically a full division of, of football teams you would have to bring in to remain solvent, I guess, in some respects. So I do think the Sun Belt is well positioned. I think a jump from 10 teams to maybe it's 12, maybe it's 14 uh, seems logical, seems like it's on the horizon. Uh, again, Keith Gill's done a great job. Carl Benson uh, before him. I, I think this is a league that's going to be around a long time. The two-division format makes sense. You do have kind of a specific geographical area where you've put your focus and programs like Appalachian State, like Georgia Southern, like Louisiana, like Coastal Carolina have helped the league's brand. And I think you're going to see some some new teams come to the Sun Belt, definitely. It just makes it a whole lot easier when you got momentum with the, with the, with the Sun Belt. And like you mentioned, BJ, you got the usual suspects up app, you know, Louisiana, Georgia Southern. Now you add Coastal Carolina. So when you go into Southern Miss and Marshall, of course they want to be a part of that. Conference USA is going to really, really have to decide do they want to keep the tradition of having the Conference USA by, you know, promoting FCS teams. And if not, it is going to be, it is going to be, woo, a uphill battle, Kevin, because you're, you, they, the teams that you're going to know, and listen, man, y'all trying to help us. Y'all, uh, y'all, Boosting the reputation of our programs, or y'all just trying to keep this entire conference afloat? We will see what happens. But hey, man, sometimes, sometimes you have, you, you know, sometimes you get rich, and sometimes, you know, you gamble yourself, you know, out of all your money. We will see what happens with Conference USA. And again, uh, the, the landscape changing by the day. It seems like as to uh, what could could finally shape up when this is all said and done. But it looks like next move would be on the Sun Belt or Conference USA. And it looks like the Sun Belt is actively at least pursuing at least two. Uh, to uh, to come in and join their conference. we got more to come here on 3 and Out. Braves back at it tonight. We'll have full coverage starting for you at 6.50. Game number five. Braves could wrap it up with a win tonight. They lead the series three games to one. Dodgers have put out uh, their starter. They are going to start. Uh, why does his name just slip my mind? Joe Kelly uh, uh, tonight in part of that bullpen game there as well. We'll talk to Bill Shanks all about the Braves and their chance to finish it up potentially tonight when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.
It's three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin BJ and Ben Braves, one win away from going to the World Series. Our next guest covered the Braves for a uh, long time, and you can hear him uh, every day on Sports Radio 93.1 in Macon, 98.3 in Warner Robins, host of the Bill Shanks Show. Bill Shanks joins us here on three and out. Bill, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. I know a lot of the Braves fans, uh, as you saw after a Tuesday night going up, what was us? Here goes that Atlanta curse thing, which I think is you know nonsense uh, most of the time. And, uh, again, the Braves bounce back with an A-plus game offensively and on the mound. It was a great win. It was, uh, it was tremendous to, to have Jesse Chavez go out there and give him a good inning and Bruce Smiley do his job and the bats to – to, to come alive at some point you knew it was going to be home run derby and it was last night and it was a great win and uh, to answer what happened on tuesday with a performance like that you just um, you gotta you gotta give them a lot of credit i mean i'm not surprised this team you know what this team's been through so much kevin um, it's not like one bad inning where where luke jackson was tipping his pitches is anything close to what they've been through all year long they've been through worse so um i i think they are are, are primed and ready to ready to win a pennant tonight, and I think they're going to do it. Bill, talk about Eddie Rosario, uh, the history he's made this postseason, and <clears throat> just how valuable he's been for Atlanta. Well, they wanted they wanted Rosario last winter. They thought they had him. They had recruited him very, very, very hard and, and thought he was coming to Atlanta because they wanted to, another center fielder to join Christian Pache. Uh, you know, they wanted kind of a veteran to be there with Pache. And and he instead went to Cleveland. They were shocked by that. So they they really liked this guy. They they um, even the due diligence they had before the trade. They talked to a lot of people who were with him in Minnesota, and and he was just a very good teammate and and a clutch performer. So um, I mean he's played great, and it's just yet another testament to the work that Alex Antopoulos did by uh, by getting the uh, getting the the outfielders he got there at the uh, trade deadline, but. What an unbelievable couple of days he's had! It, it's great to see, and you know, he, there are a lot of uh, a lot of, of Braves players who were kind of playoff heroes, like Mike Devereaux and Sid Bream and Francisco Cabrera. And even though I think they'd love to bring Rosario back, I think uh, I think at the least he's going to be back on Alumni Day for many years to come after what he's done in this series after he wins the MVP award tonight. Rosario, Freeman, Albie, Swanson, you know. Uh, Riley, just different guys, you know, seemingly every night. Talk about uh, a little bit more about, you know, uh, the chemistry of this team and uh, that lineup in particular. Well, it, you know, they they obviously have gone through so much, like I said, and, and to have uh, Ronald Acuna go down two days before the All-Star break um, was incredible. It's almost like those players who were left got together and said, you know, we're not going to let this ruin our season. And, and uh, I hope they did because it would be a lot better to the story. But they they just have never given up. I mean, they had two and a half weeks where they won game, lost game, couldn't win or lose consecutive games. They were as mediocre as you can be. They were five games back on the trade deadline. And these players, they never gave up. And I think the steps they've taken to get to this game tonight in this series – with, with, you know, losing the Dodgers in the first round in 2018 and losing that horrible game five, the Cardinals in 2019 and going all the way to game seven last year against the Dodgers. I think all that has prepared this core group to, to, to be where they are now and to overcome an unbelievable amount of obstacles for this season. So I think that's what's mattered and has gotten, you know, this group to on the cusp of a pennant. 
Bill, as you look at this Braves team, and I've asked a, a number of folks throughout the season about this, so I'll ask you as somebody who's followed the Braves and covered the Braves for a, a number of years, but this to me, maybe top to bottom, might be the most talented Braves team I've seen. Uh, and it seems like they play that way with a lot of confidence. Is that uh, overstating it, or is that uh, you know top to bottom on this roster? Is this maybe one of the best Braves teams we've ever seen put together? Oh, yeah, I think so, especially with the way the outfield is reconstructed. But anytime you can say you've got the best whatever, rotation, bullpen, catcher, I mean, and they've got the best infields, Kevin. I mean, they've got they've got the best group of four players in the infield in baseball right now with Freeman, Albies, Swanson, and Riley, and I don't think it's even close. And so when you can say something like that, you've got a, a leg up. And, I mean, they've got the best infield in the game and a rebuilt outfield and a much improved – starting rotation from last year. I mean, think about it. Last year when they were up 3-1, they had to go with A.J. Minter in game five to try to win the pennant. Uh, tonight it'll be Max Freed. And then if they lose tonight, it'll be Ian Anderson. And if they lose on Saturday, it'll be Charlie Morton. Uh, so, yeah, 1 through 26, this team is very good. It's very deep. You know, I mean, my God, two, two hours before the – the game the other day, they go and, and, and lose, or last week, rather, they go and lose Jorge Soler, and he's been great for them, and, and yet it, it hadn't missed a beat. I mean, look what Jock's done. Look what the outfield's done. So it's a deep team. It's a solid team, a solid roster. That bullpen has just been that's elevated to another. I, mean, I put some numbers on my Twitter account of what of what uh, Mentor and, and, and Matzik have done. Will Smith, I mean, those three lefty relievers in that bullpen – and I can't remember them off the top of my head. You'll have to get them off Twitter. I mean, they've been unbelievable in this last, since at least September the 1st. They've been incredible. And that's what you have to have. You have to play at a high level to get to where the Braves are right now. And they've done it. And, Bill, here in the postseason, the Braves have a 2-5-7 team ERA. I mean, is that the key to winning championships, being that dominant on the mound? Absolutely. You've got to do that. You've got to – I mean, pitching wins championships – but, you know, last, last year the Braves got knocked out probably more so because their offense is doing poorly, but it's because of how good the Dodgers pitching staff was. And this year the shoe's been on the other foot. The, the Braves pitching has just been unbelievable. I mean, those numbers, again, for Matt, I think Matzik's ERA is, is like 1.00. I think Mentor's less than one. I mean, it's incredible. And for all the angst that we've had about Will Smith, the people wanting to put Will Smith out of, out of the closer's role, my God, he's been unbelievable. And that's because Brian Sticker expressed his faith in Will Smith and never gave up on Will Smith. And that's a huge part of this story. And and uh, so, yeah, the, the pitching. And, I mean, my gosh, you think about all they went through last year. I mean, the, last year when they started even, even at, at the 60-game schedule, their rotation was thought to be Cole Hamels, Mike Soroka, Mike Boltonevich, Max Freed, and Sean Newcomb. And look what happened to that rotation. And this year, even still having Charlie Morton, Max Freed, and Ian Anderson, it's just night and day different, and that's what's got them ready to go for tonight. Bill, what do you attribute this uh, this chemistry with, with the front? I mean, with Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snicker. Obviously, when Alex Anthopoulos first got to the Braves, he inherited a front office that was in ruins. And you see, and, and since he's been to him and Snit, yeah, I mean, I don't know how they are as far as, like, dealing with each other, but you, have you ever seen this much chemistry this fast from a new GM and a guy that's been with a, with, a, with an organization well over 40 years? Yeah, Ben, I saw it in 1991 when John Charles joined the Braves and Bobby Cox is the manager. It's a very similar story. 
John came in from Kansas City, and he had been a successful GM of the Royals, and Bobby Cox had been the GM with Atlanta, been the manager for the last part of the 1990 season, had been with the Braves, uh, except for the four years he was in Toronto. He had been with the Braves since 1978, and, and, and those two worked perfectly together, had a perfect relationship. Um, and I think Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Zicker have the same type of relationship. There's a respect factor there. There's a belief and faith in Brian Zicker's part that if they need something, that Alex Anthopoulos is going to do everything he can to get that help. He did that at the trade deadline. I mean, he made six individual trades between the All-Star break and July 30th at, at 4 o'clock. Six. There, there, there have been years the Braves haven't made six trades in the entire year. In, in their history, and they made six trades in two weeks because Alex Anthopoulos thought that the run differential for Atlanta and for New York gave the Braves a chance. And he was right. And they were five games out that night when they made those trades on the trade deadline day on July 30th. But Brian Sicker is, is so is, is at the forefront of this because of, of he's the conductor, he's the leader. He's the one that keeps everything even keel. There was no panic after what happened on Tuesday night. There was no woe is me. There wasn't a dumb fan base because everybody bringing up crap from, you know, the Atlanta sports history that meant nothing. I mean, you know, the, the Atlanta Braves losing on Tuesday had nothing to do with 28-3 to in Houston, for crying out loud. And <laughs> some, some people were putting that together, and they were ignorant to do that. You know, Brian Sicker keeps his team at an even keel because he knows – it's one day at a time. And, and look, they, it's October 21st. They've been going at it since February 14th. And it's a grind. It, 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 it's a daily grind. It's hard. And, and he leads them through that in a very calm way, in a perfect way. And, and I think that's why they're going to win a pennant and have a great chance to win it all this year. Bill Shanks joining us here on Three and Out. Bill, finally, uh, game, uh, game what, five tonight. If you're uh, Brian Snicker, do you look at this as, and I know you said you think they're going to finish it, but given that the Dodgers are going bullpen game, do you kind of manage this like a pseudo game six, game seven, knowing that even wounded, the Dodgers still have Scherzer and Bueller in their arsenal for game six and seven? Are you going after it uh, as, as best you can with, with what you got tonight to try to finish it now? Yeah, and I think a key for that, Kevin, is the fact that if, you know, I mean, the Braves could bring Max Fried in an emergency in Game 7, not as a starter, but, you know, if they had to save their season and needed to bring Max in, that's not out of the question. They don't want to do that, of course. But if they win tonight or, or on Saturday, uh, Max Fried won't pitch again until next Wednesday. So he's going to have a full rest, and therefore I think they're going to be able to push him a little bit uh, tonight, if that pitch counts at a respectable level, and if and if he's pitching well, I think they'll push him because you know AJ Minter went two innings last night. Tyler Matzik, I mean, I know he's got a rubber arm, but you just have to wonder how the heck long this can go. Um, and the only other lefty they've got is Drew Smiley, who pitched last night, and then Dylan Lee, who you know has barely pitched at all in the big leagues. I mean, I, I would think because of that ability to have backs on longer rest, they'll push him a little bit tonight. Uh, I think we'll see Luke Jackson tonight, and uh, I think we'll see Will Smith tonight, and and hopefully they can finish it out. But, I mean, look, I know people are saying, well, it would be great to finish it at home. No, sir. It would be great to finish it on that field right there and let those people, especially Bill Plasky, that moron (laughs) columnist for the L.A. Times, watch his uh, team lose on, on uh, on that field to the Atlanta Braves. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll all pitch in, get him an all-star special when it's all said and done. Uh, Bill Shanks, our guest here on 3 Out. Bill, always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
You're welcome. Thank you. Bill Shanks, our guest here on 3 and Out. We're coming back with more all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here on this Thursday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, Braves with a chance to clinch it tonight. And as you heard Bill Shanks say, don't let it go back to Atlanta. Finish it now. Finish it now. Yeah, we don't like Bill Plaschke talking about our anisteral shopping malls around the uh, around the Truist Park. No, finish it tonight. Don't even let Walker Bueller or Max Scherzer come back into the equation. Yeah, get it done. And I understand the intrigue, the in, the, the appeal of uh, obviously winning a pennant on your home field. But come on, you have it set up for you. You had a fantastic game yesterday. Let's not forget four runs in the ninth inning. I think that carries over in the whatever in the yeah the top of the night that carries over. And you're talking about an energy. You're talking about a confidence. You're talking about a belief. And they have a bullpen game going. What Kelly is starting right? Yeah, Joe right, Kelly. Kevin? Yeah, and, and, and you have Max Freed. Get it done. I got a wristband right now. The wristband says myth killer. Going to kill a lot of myths tonight. I don't want to hear that nonsense. I know we already went through it with – I listen, I was able to score a touchdown because of the curse. This place <laughs> is cursed. Well, guess what? If that's how I scored it, it's fine. Boss Bailey, Thomas Davis, it wasn't me. It was the curse. I will take it. It was the curse of Georgia's past. I don't know. But well, look, we about to we, – we, but uh, I keep on saying, when the Braves get a chance to go out there and make it happen tonight, Kevin. No, no. And, and the thing about it is, Kevin, listen, get to, get to exercise some demons tonight. Get, getting over that. Now, listen, the hardest yard to get in football is one yard. The hardest out to get for this Dodgers team, I guess it's, it's the last six, not the last three. Find a way to get it done. I know it's been a lot to, you know, to ride home about, but Kevin, what is it going to take to get that, that, that game four, going back to the ATS, shout to yell, yep. getting ready for the I, World Series? Well, I'd feel better if they jumped on them early. You know, if, if, if you were able to do uh, – even if you don't score runs, even if you come out against Joe Kelly and you get two runners on in the first inning, the fact you walk up there with the confidence like, all right, we can hit this guy. And, we, and I, I think uh, the Braves have that confidence against this entire Dodgers team, maybe except for Kenley Jansen. They, they've had success getting runners on base, and for a team like the Braves – you keep putting it in play, and good things are going to happen. And, and I think we saw that last night. Get runners on. Keep getting runners on. And even if you don't score, go up there with the confidence that you can make some stuff happen at the plate, and you're going to score runs. Like I don't know that the Dodgers with a bullpen game think they're going to win this one 2 to nothing tonight, right? I mean, and, and again, I don't think if you're the Braves, you go out there saying, oh, man, we no, you go up there with confidence and try to end this thing. You have Max Freed against their bullpen. Uh, let him go out there and pitch his ball game and know – Hey, as an offense, we're going to score runs. We'll be all right. And, and, and again, I think that's a good approach to have. And, you want, again, try to end it tonight so it doesn't go back to Atlanta. Rest up and get ready for whoever it is, Astros, Red Sox, doesn't matter. It's going to be a uh, tremendous World Series. But, uh, again, the, the Braves, if, if I'm Brian Snicker, not to the extreme, but I'm pretty much wanting to manage this like it's a Game 7. I'm not going to go all out and say, well, everybody on the roster gets to play and pitch. But I, I am managing this like, look, let's try everything in our power to just end it now and not save uh, a guy for another day. You have an off day tomorrow. Even if you have an off day tomorrow, treat this like game seven and go try to finish it. I'd like to see to that point, Kevin, the Braves be proactive. Uh, I think sometimes the right approach at the plate is to wait and kind of make the pitch come to you, wait for the pitch you want to see. I'd, I'd, I'd like to see some early 
early count swings and maybe try to ambush an early fastball. I'd like to see send a runner or two, be proactive, try to put even more pressure on the Dodgers. Ben, you talked about that. The Dodgers are feeling it. And if I'm Atlanta, I'm trying to come out and add to that and maximize that and capitalize on that. So I think I think the Braves go after Kelly early, whoever else comes in. I think Max Freed, you know, those strikes, those strikes. Don't don't give them free passes. Don't give them any help. And I got a really good feeling, which is scary in its own right. Yeah. But I, but but I think Atlanta's in a great spot. It's all laid out for you. Max Freed against the bullpen. What you did yesterday was incredible. Let's get it done tonight. Apply pressure. That's it. Every inning, just apply pressure. Dude. When you look at what the Braves did last night, they didn't think that, oh, man, we, we, we've we seen this story before, being up, going into the latter innings, and this, how dangerous this Dodgers team is. Each inning, man, try your best to just continue to apply pressure defensively and offensively because, Kevin, that seems to be their way forward. I mean, and, and, B.J., I know you say starting pitching wins in the postseason. Well, I think that I think going tonight the Braves got a better pitcher on the mound than the Dodgers. And we'll see how this lineup can do their yeah, part. I agree. Put pressure on them early. Make the Dodgers play uh, play catch up and go out there and play with uh, with some confidence. Jorge Soler back on the roster tonight off the COVID list. He replaces Christian uh, Pache. No Justin Turner. Albert Pujols is going to uh, start tonight for the Dodgers at first base. Moves Bellinger to the outfield. Appreciate Bill Shanks joining us. Roddy Jones uh, for joining us here on the show. George Reister and Gurav Vidak here on 3 and Out. We will see you tomorrow. However it goes, hopefully we're talking World Series. If not, we'll be talking about Game 5 coming up on Saturday back in Atlanta. Right here, Game 6, excuse me, back in Atlanta, right here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio. Check us out online at ESPNCoastal.com.